Welcome into the Out of the Box podcast. It is a milestone episode. Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury sitting in our studio. And Tom, can you believe it? This is season four. We've recorded a ton of episodes, but in terms of in season, following the progress of college softball, this is our 50th show. Wow. I was expecting a cake. Well, come on. <laughs> look, look at where we are. We're, you we're, think I just have cakes lying around? We're almost eligible for syndication. I, I'll go get some Thin Men. So that'll be nice. <laughs> okay. All right. Bus is out. Episode 100, whenever that happens, we're having a party. Oh, yeah. I don't care where we are, what we're doing. I mean, we're I'm gonna fine with party. having a party after every episode. Well, especially. we basically do because it takes three <laughs> hours for them to download. Right. But this is episode 50, and we are celebrating in style because there is so much to discuss. Here's your trip around the bases. We will start at the plate and cover what was the wonkiest sweep I think either of us have ever seen. I'll take them, though. Yeah, you'll take the wins. <laughs> yes. How they happened, good Lord. Oh, yeah. All the narratives. <laughs> so much to talk about for those, those three games. We will advance to first and, of course, take a look at the awards conversation. SEC Pitcher of the Year and Player of the Year. Player of the Year starting to clear up. Pitcher of the Year, a muddled mess. Mm. We'll also break down all the SEC series, including what happened in Fayetteville. More sweeps than usual, which was interesting. And then do FGCL corner. And then we will steal second with the legendary self. We are completing our seven innings podcast, Infinity Gauntlet, with Beth Moens. BMO is here, Tom. Very excited to talk to Bebo, and it's going to be just to get her her outlook and, and her perspective on not just Alabama, but just the sport as a whole. Well, it's interesting because what I love about having Beth on is, you know, usually when we have these softball people, we're talking purely softball. But with Beth, we can talk softball and then talk about it from a media perspective. Right. And because she's been around, you know, she's been here since the beginning and she's seen all of the change and all the growth. And uh, I'm really excited to do that. We were complaining about uh, the... USA Hall of Fame Stadium in like the the phase that we got there. Right. She's been there in phases way before. Picket fences. Right. Yes. Dirt outfields. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Then we round third. Bracketology is back. And Tom, this is probably the toughest it's ever been. I really toiled today. Wow. Like so much so I had to take a break. Normally I can write up the numbers, make my list, turn on TV and start writing something else. Today it was write out the numbers, make half the list go run errands, come back and finish the list. It was difficult. Well, I assume to make everyone happy, you have Alabama at number one. <laughs> yeah, you would think, but no. <laughs> oh, but no. no, we'll talk, of course, about come Oklahoma, on. Texas during that yes. segment. Then we will head home. We've got picks and maybe off the wall. I think it's more of like a congratulatory off the wall segment, unless you have something. I, I got a, a couple little ones, but yeah, okay. overall, you know, well, again, when you, when you sweep, that's right. helpful, but a great yeah. job. Yeah. Great job, everyone. Well done. Let's begin at the plate and discuss Alabama, Mississippi State. What a series. You could have filmed it and then presented it to be put in theaters around the country. And some of these <laughs> results, people said, like, nah, that's yeah, not. No, no, no way. No. Game one, a pitcher's duel ends in a walk-off wild pitch that Alabama is able to take 2-1, Megan Bloodworth clutch home run. Game three, Montana looks great. She had a great weekend. We'll talk about that in a minute. Shutout victory for the Tide for nothing. It, it was the most normal game yeah. of the three, for sure. It it, it felt kind of like how I thought a couple of these games would go. Right. Game two, mm. bonkers. <laughs> Just bonkers. Mississippi State at one point leads 5 nothing. They at one point going into the bottom of the sixth lead 6-1. Yeah. 
And Alabama wins it 7-6 on use of a long ball from everybody and a Megan Bloodworth two RBI double that's going to be in my reel for the rest of my life. <laughs> I mean, it was it was an incredible game. It was an incredible game to watch how it played out, to see that Alabama missed their chance in the fifth. Mississippi State actually scored, and you thought, okay, that's it. Yeah. And Alabama found a way to come back and win. Yeah, when uh, Ali Shipman absolutely hammers a ball and it ends up being a web gem double play for uh, Mississippi State uh, and Cook at third uh, to end that threat in the fifth inning. And then, like you said, Mississippi State scoring a run there in the sixth. You definitely thought, well, yeah, yeah, it's going to be really, really tough for Alabama to come back now because they had lost the momentum that they had. But then uh, to see what the Tide was able to do offensively in, in the bottom of the sixth and bottom of the seventh, just showed that Alabama can win games in so many different ways. They when when the long ball is called for, they can do it that way. They can manufacture. They can just shut people down pitching wise. But it is really great to see that Alabama can win those games when the pitching isn't as dominant. Yeah. Um, Jayla Torrance had had a tough start. I think you made a good point that it, you know not getting the low strike zone was, was certainly hurting her giving up a home run to Mia Davidson. like That, that right will shake you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so she was never really able to get comfortable. I think the real star of the game was Alex Salter coming in and keeping uh, Mississippi State where they were, giving Alabama the opportunity to come back offensively from up and down. It may be the game this season where we saw the most uh, co- contributions from everybody on the roster for an Alabama victory. I will hand out three awards for the weekend. We're just doing all that this time of year. (laughs) Sure. I think that my story of the weekend was Alex Salter and her ability to come in and shut down an SEC team, which we had not seen. There was, there was little evidence in what we had seen prior that Alex Salter would come in and hold Mississippi state in five plus innings to one unearned run. Yeah. I mean, she, she had the no hitter against Alabama state, but there's certainly a, Pretty good step up in competition. Yeah, Mississippi State, Alabama State, they are not equal. No, right. I think that the best play of the weekend in terms of degree of difficulty was the Paige Cook double play. Like, I can't – I've seen it pop up so many times on Twitter. It was on Rally Cap last night, and I was like, how How did she do that? Yeah. That was one of the craziest things I've ever seen, especially on the road. But I, I think that the play of the weekend in terms of importance that wasn't a walk-off was in game two, the Jenna Lord home run. You know, Alabama got a home run in that inning from Bailey Dowling. And then you go, you look behind, you've got Kaylee Tao, who at the time had four home runs on the year and Jenna Lord, who hadn't hit one. And then you've got a couple spots down Megan Bloodworth, but she had, I think, one all of conference play and it was in game one. You didn't look at the bottom half of the order after Bailey Dowling and say, this is where a lot of the power is going to come from. And so for after Kaylee Tao dropped the walk for, for Jenna Lord to hit a home run or first of the year to really keep the momentum going, I think you know, a lot of things spurred that comeback, but that home run made it feel really real for Alabama when Jenna Lord put it out the center field. Yeah. You could definitely feel the momentum that you had lost because of, you know, having the bases loaded and not scoring in the fifth definitely came back after that. And then Allie Shipman got an opportunity her next at bat there in the seventh inning. Uh, First, it won the longest foul balls I've ever seen. It's up there with the Abby cheek cheek foul ball. It was more left, but it was, it might've been further, right? Like this thing, was in the old rec pool. Yeah, that's why I said, yeah, I, I said, I thought it landed in the pool of the rec center. Uh, so there is that one. And then to have that, the home run that she hit that might have ta- taken out a windshield of the Mississippi State bus <laughs> down the left field line. And then her reaction to that 
she didn't really even celebrate hitting a home run. The next, the first thing that she did when she hit, hit home plate was to talk to Bailey Dowling, who was coming up and said, keep it going, yeah. keep it going. There was such a, we have this now, we got the one, two, three inning on top of the seventh, we're going to come back and win this game. And uh, Patrick Murphy talked about it. And when we talked to him this weekend as well, when you can just see it in the, in the batter's eyes that they are not going to get out and to see that Alabama has that mentality definitely was great to see this weekend and bodes well for future endeavors. Yeah, we know that it can pop up. Okay, big weekend storylines. Where should we go? I feel like we should start with Montana Fouts. Yes. Uh, she, in all of conference play, had put together one really good start and one start where you were like, who is that? Mm-hmm. Who is that that's throwing? This weekend, it was two really, really quality. In fact, I will say fantastic starts. Her career ERA against Mississippi State is like 0.3 now. It's it's absurd. <laughs> right. She got all three wins on the weekend. As we record, no SEC awards have been announced, but we assume Montana will be your SEC Pitcher of the Week. Uh, maybe Shanice Dells gets co, but Montana for sure will be honored in some way by the conference. It was vintage Montana Fouts. And I genuinely feel that part of it was the unavailability of Lexi Kilfoyle in Montana, knowing that she just had to be better. And she was. I say that because there's a lot of evidence that when Kilfoyle has been out, Montana's pitched her best. And so if that Montana that we saw this weekend can stick around and be that good the rest of the year, this becomes an Alabama team that is is not just a contender to win a national championship, but a front runner. I think that has kind of been a calling card for a lot of Alabama pitchers yeah. that when there, there's no one else to go to, they really step up. Uh, we've talked about Courtney Geddens. We talked about heck, like, Alex Salter. Yeah, Alex Salter. I mean, you know, Lexi Kilfoyle has gone that same way. Lexis Osorio was like that. Sydney Littlejohn. People Sarah like Sarah Cornell. Yeah. yeah, the whole the whole gang. Honestly, right. yeah. So you just have to have that mentality now because the the plan and the hope is for everyone to be healthy and you can can have other people. Uh, but but you need to come out with that same type of, of thought process, even when there are other people available. If that if Alabama can do that, we've talked about it. You know, the one of if not the best one two punch in the country is Montana Fouts and, and Lexi Kilfoyle when they're both healthy and both you know pitching at their best. And uh, hopefully, Lexi can get over whatever the, the illness is that she has right now and uh, can get back into the uh, into the rotation here this next weekend at Texas A and M and can move toward everybody hitting their peak there when we hit into postseason production from the offense coming from up and down. We'll talk about the leadoff debate in just a moment, but today I was putting together some information for our doubleheader tomorrow, which we'll talk about in a second. And everybody on the team is hitting 400 in the last five games, except for two players. It's really impressive. The evenness of the offensive production Mm -hmm. these last couple of weeks. And again, that's another thing that bodes well, because what makes Oklahoma so tough? Literally everybody is hitting over 360. Right. Now Alabama doesn't have a team with batting averages like that, but at this point in the year right now, I'd say if you're game planning against the Crimson Tide, nine out of nine batters scare you because the two who aren't hitting well are Jenna Johnson, who two weeks ago was top five in the conference of batting average and Dallas Goodnight, who is fast as a whip. And if you take your eye off the ball for a second or throw it away, just briefly, she'll be on second or third. Yeah. She can, she can create a havoc when getting on the base pads in any, any way that she can and being a freshman, but having as much talent as she is, there's going to be a, a point in time where the, the switch is going to flip. Yeah. And it, it's, she's going to be just in, impossible to get out. Hopefully that comes before the end of this year. 
you know, but it's, it's, it's definitely going to be there and, and it can happen at any time. So hopefully that, that comes soon. And when that does that, that will uh, answer the question on who should be lead off. There are certainly questions as of right now until that switch does flip. So who should be lead off? Because <laughs> uh, Prangy's last five batting average would be a lot higher if she wasn't, I think, one for five, one for four when she was in the leadoff spot. It's yeah. just, it's so strange. <laughs> it's, it, it is because. Because you've got a lot of people who I would feel very comfortable leading off and they do great literally anywhere else in the lineup. Right. Except the leadoff position. Yeah. I don't know if it's, it's just a mental, mental block or what it is because you're, you're only leading off one time. You're right. only guaranteed to lead off that one time. You're just, you're starting off, off the offensive barrage is all you're doing. Players have seemed to struggle in that leadoff position. Again, the most prototypical leadoff hitter is obviously Dallas Goodnight. Uh, but she, you know, in conference play, especially has struggled to the point where you would rather ha- have her either eight or nine, probably. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was fine with Prangy doing it and that may be something maybe you experiment with here in these next two games against North Alabama and Alcorn on Tuesday uh, before he had to Texas A&M. My answer is, I don't know. I just would like for something to happen that works out because we've seen a lot of lineup changes and pretty much all of them have worked out except for the, right. the top of the order spot. It's not that they're doing bad. It's just, they're not fulfilling the requirement for Patrick Murphy when they're in the leadoff spot, which is try and get on over half a time or at least pretty close. Yeah. And nobody's really doing that when they've been in that top spot in the order. I would actually, I would like to see in one of the games in the non-conference on Tuesday, Cat Grill get a leadoff spot. I'd like to see Kat. Interesting. Uh, I, want, I would want to see how she would handle that pressure. Right. Because yeah. it's it's a game. Your your leadoff play, batter can go 0 for 5, and Alabama should still win either one of those games. But, yeah, she's she's done so good in the 9 spot or the 8 spot, uh, been getting on base. And she has, other than Dallas Goodnight, the more prototypical leadoff style. So uh, I would like to see Kat get a shot to see where she would go. I don't know. That may be too much to ask for her in conference but maybe in these on-conference games. Speaking of, let's look at this week's schedule. We've got a Tuesday doubleheader. <laughs> North Alabama at 345 Central Time. Right, that that normal game starting yes. hour. Totally when I typically yes. head to Rhodes. <laughs> and uh, Alcorn, Alcorn, we've heard multiple things. Uh, either way, that team, right. State, They're at 6 over. o'clock on SEC Network Plus. And then uh, we had to call a station this weekend, which we're very excited for. A&M on Friday at 6 p.m. Central Time, Saturday at 6 p.m. Central Time. That's on Big SEC Network. I don't know who's calling those, but I hope it's friends that we can hang out with at the Dixie Chicken. <laughs> and then Sunday, a nooner at 12 p.m. Central Time to close out that series in College Station. So let's begin with the pitching plan. Again, just like it was a couple weeks ago when we weren't sure what Lexi Kilfoyle's situation was, same deal here. My assumption is because it's illness related and, you know, they, they have a lot of great medication nowadays to help you kick the allergies. I take a Zyrtec every other day. I expect to see her this weekend. If not, though, uh, it's probably Alex Halter who would, who would get that other start besides Montana Fouts against the Aggies. I would think so. Um, first of all, in the doubleheader tomorrow, as much as I'm sure people would like to see Montana Fouts. Yeah, no. she, she should probably not be pitching. So you're hoping that I, I can see a scenario if Kilfoyle is trying to get back into the swing of things, if she's available where she comes in and maybe pitches two or three innings in one of those games. Uh, but mostly that's going to be a Salter Torrance 
double header that you're going to get it's there. probably going to be the freshman extravaganza again yeah. that we saw against alabama state yeah so I, I definitely at least for one if not both games yeah um and then uh yeah against a&m montana lexi montana unless kilfoyle's not available parts easy yeah and then with the lineup just keep keep doing what you're doing yeah i love what has become a really potent three batter part of a lineup with shipman dowling and tau mm-hmm. all of a sudden yeah that is a just a, it's a juggernaut to have to get past and i also think you know jenna lord has secured the dp spot 100 for sure but i hope that we will see aubrey barnhart get a couple more chances to bat this weekend against AM because she came up with a really timely rbi in game three against mississippi state yeah and then you know i could see a you know, in the game on two, the games on Tuesday, Dor and Barnhart getting getting DHs there just to to keep them. Dor will probably yeah. catch, right? Or, yeah, 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 I'll catch one of those games at least. So um, there's that. But yeah, I agree. I think Lord will probably be the DP moving forward unless she slumps. As I've said a lot of times, I think having when you're able to bring out hitters like Dor and Barnhart as pinch hitters coming off the bench, um, if that is a luxury Alabama has not had in the last few years, and uh, some of the more um, dangerous pinch hitters that we've seen any, anywhere in the nation could come off the bench for Alabama. So I, I think Alabama's in a really good spot there. You're right. I, I thought the uh, two RBI uh, single by Barnhart coming in the first time she's had a plate appearance. In, God, we haven't seen her bat in weeks. Yeah, it was like a week and a half to two weeks yeah. because she was out for the entire Florida series. It was a tough spot for her to be in and she came through and I was, I was pretty impressed. Yeah, so we feel pretty good going into College Station. Yeah, for many reasons. I can't wait to be back in Texas. I'm seeing my grandparents. We've got the wonderful cacophony of recommendations from Joe Evans. So many ways to eat a taco. I'm really looking forward to it. We've got snakes to avoid. (laughs) We We have, and I'm being honest, folks, the hotel that I'm most excited about this year coming up. <laughs> I got an email today. I, I booked a reservation this week from, I'm not going to say where, right. because I don't want some of y'all to find us, but <laughs> I like the pictures. They just look so cool. So if you follow me on Instagram, I'm probably going to do a lot of storying right. from around. Although, though we've, we've seen pictures from hotels before and we got there. Wait a minute. That's true. Wait, wait. <laughs> I didn't realize this was a set piece from American horror story. How did this happen? <laughs> Either way, right. we certainly hope that you will tune in uh, to us or to however. Basically, we want you to support uh, the softball team this weekend and this week in the midweek uh, as Alabama takes on the Aggies and North Alabama and Alcorn, Alcorn, whatever they right. are. And as you know, as we've talked about, and I know we'll talk more about the conference uh, standings as we go forward, but these are the type of games Alabama, you know, needs to take care of their business. Yeah. Uh, when when you when the schedule works out where you get to play one of the teams that are toward the bottom of the standings you, know, you can't afford to drop one one so hopefully Alabama will be able to take care of that business to stay uh, in the fight for the championship how about we talk about all the other teams that are right around there as well should okay. we do that yeah okay it's time to put it in play who are we wow we could be anybody can I take this one please we're Jenna Lord okay we're Jenna Dadgum Lord hitting career home runs being a consistent hitter in conference play like game three ended like a seven game conference hit streak or something for general i guess she's been consistent yes so we're taking it we're taking that dp spot tom and put it in play do it that's it lord have mercy oh we come back (laughs) we'll advance to first sec weekend review what do the awards look like has aaron koffel 
pulled away as player of the year? Maybe. We'll talk about it when we return here on the Out of the Box podcast. Episode 50, Tom. Amazing. It's time to advance the first. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury. And look at the SEC, which I'm going to, you know, round of applause to the conference. I'm starting to kind of figure out where everybody lies. I, I feel like the conference race is much clearer now than it was even two weeks ago. Yes. I, I'm with you. People have kind of settled into where their spots are going to be. Uh, there's still a, a pretty good uh, race for the top spot, but uh, I think we know where some of the enigmas are going to end up. But filling the role mm. of complicated race start to finish is the SEC Pitcher of the Year contest, which I, I wrote down on this rundown. How many is that? Seven potential people and put their stats. I've put down Shanice Delfs at Arkansas, which has been a real story. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Lexi Kilfoyle, Montana Fouts, Elizabeth Hightower at Florida, Maddie Pinta from Auburn, and Madison Kerpix from Georgia, who's second and wins. And it's hard to pick a front runner, you know, because some people are strong in areas that others aren't and vice versa. Shanice Dells, fifth in ERA, but 10th in innings pitched. Montana Fouts, not in the rankings for ERA, but first in innings pitched and wins and strikeouts. And not just first in strikeouts. Oh, Lord. By like an astronomical she is amount. lapping the field. It would be strikeouts. like if I raced Caleb Rowe, that kind of difference. <laughs> And and my, you are not Montana Pouts in this. In this no, scenario. I'm not. No. I am not. No, Lord, no. I am everybody else. <laughs> but I, I think the way that this goes, and then also, you know, you've got pitchers like Alexi Kilfoyle, like a Maddie Pinta, like a Madison Kerpix, who are all kind of in the middle of everything else. I think that how this award is going to be decided, Tom, because this conference race is going to be so close, is just going to be what the coaches value. Do they care more about ERA or do they care more about wins or do they care more about how you win or how many innings you pitched with the wins and strikeouts? I think the criteria is going to be different for everybody. And that makes this completely unpredictable. It really does. And I, I think because it goes that way, it may end up being just the best pitcher on the best team. Uh, that's always uh, one way you go with too, when so many things are so equal. But that being but there's said, a scenario where Alabama and Arkansas are co-champions. Right. So yeah. that's <laughs> well, and that being said, I think then you go with the, the pitcher who has the most wins, the most innings pitched, and like you said, lapping the field as far as strikeouts goes. The pitcher that I think if you had, you know, you needed to get out of an inning or you you had one game for your life, you got to hand it to a pitcher. And I think that's Montana foul. So I'm, I'm so happy with my my midseason pick yeah i'm out on the high tower pick Probably i was out time. on it like the second inning we saw her in <laughs> you know what i'm gonna re I'm, I'm, uh, reconsider re recanting my <laughs> testimony your honor uh I, you know i i think that if we had to like actually sit down and pick a, a front runner right now it probably would be fouts i think part of it honestly is name recognition too it's chances uh, shanice dels you know like i said 10th in innings pitched the where's, era is great but she's thrown essentially 30 less innings than montana has yeah where's where's mary half in this situation uh, mary half she's given up a ton of home runs in conference play right it's very strange that's so that's you know, the fact that Dels has been able to pretty much take over. And if you had to pick an ace for Arkansas, yeah, it'd, it'd probably be Dels right now. Not, she, not, not. Half. She was the bookend starter against Kentucky in games mm -hmm. one and three. It really is. Arkansas would not be in first in the SEC if they had not gone and gotten Shanice Dels from Tulsa. 
because Mary Half, Jenna Bloom, they're not pitching well enough to be in first in the SEC, but Dels has kept them there while that offense has continued to do what they're going to do. We'll yeah. talk more about the Hogs in a minute, but again, it's another, this is another situation with SEC Pitcher of the Year where we still really don't know for sure. Montana's first in wins, but she's also got, you know, the three losses that, that could be factored in there as well. There's a lot that can happen down the stretch that can change the conversation here. And also a lot that can happen that can make, you know, a Montana or a Lexi or a Shanice Dells pull away. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's still, uh, it is an incomplete overall report card, but Montana, I think is, is the leader in the clubhouse as yeah. we stand right now. I agree with you. SEC player of the year. After all the muddling, we might have our two front runners, Aaron Koffel at Kentucky and Daniel Gibson at Arkansas. Gibson helped by the fact that Arkansas is in first place right now, but she's second in hits, first in RBI, first in home runs. Aaron Koffel is top five in like everything. And that's a player who was on our radar last year. We both had her as our midseason SEC freshman of the year in 2021. She's backed it up even more this season for the Wildcats, just hitting a robust, I believe, 465 in SEC play. First in hits, third in RBI, tied for first in home runs with Gibson. And by the way, Bailey Dowling, it, it seems like it's going to be one of these two. Maybe somebody else could pop in, but you know, we've seen Kentucky players be able to rise past finishes in the standings that weren't for second or third and win individual awards. Yeah, although, you know, Kentucky is still, you know. They could still win the league. Yeah, they're still up in there. So that could certainly help her if they're able to stay up in that conversation at least for winning the conference if not winning it overall so uh i agree she seems to have really kind of separated herself as far as the stats go and being able to separate herself even on her own team because you know right. when, when you're when talk about name recognition kayla kowalik has the name recognition for kentucky and it's not like she's having a bad year but koffel has just been been you know, above and beyond and she was a big reason why kentucky came back in one game two of the arkansas series yes. as we move forward and look around the league we appreciate them getting one at least yes we look here basic math alabama to win the sec needs arkansas to lose so anytime that happens alabama people will be excited about that and game something personal yeah we love courtney dyfel as has been recorded many times (laughs) on this podcast kentucky wins game two 10-7 after trailing at 7-1 aaron koffel goes four for four drives in like 50 runs Games one and three won by Arkansas, 2-1 in game one, 8 nothing in game three. Uh, Shanice Dels won both those games. I'm a little confused what my girl Rachel Lawson was doing because we only saw Tatum Spangler, I believe, once in the series in game two. She pitched amazing. The other starters in games one and three didn't really pan out, and neither did the relief options. And Arkansas, to their credit, took advantage. Yeah, it's one of those situations where, you know, the – uh, the strength of Kentucky is that you know, with that depth on that pitching staff is you don't know who's going to be the pitcher in each game, but sometimes that becomes a detriment for Kentucky because they don't know who's going to be the, the pitcher for, you know, their game. So um, they, they kind of tried to surprise Arkansas and kind of throw some people that they weren't expecting to start off those games and the Razorbacks were not fooled. No, not at all. No. I mean, KB sides hitting bombs, Lenny Malkin hit one that, was so far it almost it would have hit where we parked last oh, year no, in no, Fayetteville, oh gosh, yes. and we were not close to the stadium no. i mean if it, you can get into that parking lot it's I insane because i don't think if you've never been to Bo- uh, bogle park 
it doesn't really come across on TV, but that parking lot's a far. It's yeah, far it's out. it's not just right there. Right, it, there's it, a lot there. So you there's have a decently it. sized sidewalk. Yeah, so you have to really crush it to get anywhere near that parking lot, and then she did. <laughs> yes, the Arkansas offense is doing some stupid good things right now, and yep. they're using that power, and it's coming from one through six, and then seven, eight, and nine are popping in with three run homers occasionally. And right. if you've got a lineup that can do that, you're really dangerous. But I think what makes Arkansas even better than last year, because we saw that same power thing a season ago, is they're also able to hit for average. It's not just ride or die on the home runs. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I have more faith in Arkansas as a viable OKC team than I did a season ago. They have more they, – they can do a lot more offensively than just the power. Like you said, they, they can hit for average. Uh, they can steal bases. Uh, they can do a lot more than they could last year if the home runs weren't coming. So, yeah, I agree. You know, the main thing is they're going to need Mary Half to be more consistent for them yes. to make a, make a true run. They've been able to do enough uh, with that offense and with what Dels has done to be where they are. All right, so there were three sweeps last week in the SEC, Tom. Of course, Alabama had one of them. Yes. But there were two others, which is like a lot this and, year. Right. But, and then, but, you know, I know at least two of them were predicted. Oh, shut up. We're getting to that later. <laughs> Let's start with Florida sweeping Ole Miss in Oxford, the classic Thursday, Friday, Friday series. Mm. So fun. Uh, Florida wins games one and two, seven, four, seven, three. Game three got off the rails. There was a lightning delay. Florida eventually won 10 9. Uh, the Gators, you know, their, their offense has been rolling since essentially like the second inning of game three against Alabama. Uh, maybe that will be helpful. They face Arkansas this weekend. Alabama fans, you're pulling for Florida. Go Gators. But I'm I'm interested in the amount of runs given up against Ole Miss. 16 total runs for the Rebels. We saw Tim Walton make a ton of pitching changes. Elizabeth Hightower did not look very sharp. Lexi Delbray in, I believe, game two got pulled after facing two batters. It's very curious what's going on in the circle for the Gators. And I, I think that they're in real danger of losing a streak that they're very proud of, which is you know, they've had an All-American pitcher every single season since, I believe, 08. That's uh, that's yeah. in their game notes. And it's hard for me to look at that staff right now and see who would be an All-American this year. Yeah, no, that, I think that's kind of what is going to preclude them from having a chance to make a really deep run in postseason is that I just I don't think their pitching is overall good enough. But offensively, they have been able to kind of – you've had the – Eccles of the world, people like that kind of come out of their slumps. And they're, and they're yeah, Reagan Walsh, yeah. Wilkie, they're all they're all starting to get it rolling. I didn't see what the lineups were, but did they keep Scholar Wallace at the top of the order against yes. Ole Miss? Well, there you go. Yeah. I it, guess they were I guess Timmy was listening. That that's what they should do. Now we should note Hannah Adams did not play in game three. I watched the play in game two where she hurt her hand, hitting it off of an Ole Miss batting helmet while trying to throw to first to, I believe, turn a double play. And I have no idea about that. We would be the last to know any right. updates on Hannah Adams, but uh, they need to get her back as soon as possible, especially if they want to take the series this weekend against Arkansas. Yeah, that, that would certainly be helpful if they had Hannah Adams, that's for sure. Even without Adams, it's good to see like the entire lineup has been able to score runs because you know they've had to because the pitching isn't quite up to what the level yeah. it normally is. The other sweep... LSU over South Carolina. Now we both picked that. I think yeah, most I, people. I wasn't really. No. <laughs> gloating over that one. LSU wins game one, four, nothing. Game two, seven, three. Game three, eight, nothing and six. I, I think the bigger story here is that we just have to be very prepared for a South Carolina team that's not going to make the tournament unless they can steal some games going forward. Coming up, you've got 
midweek games this week against Furman, winnable, but your SEC series are Ole Miss at Arkansas and Kentucky. Let's say you beat Furman, okay? You, you win both of those games. Great work. You're sitting there now at 25 and 21. That means you've got to still, still win yeah. three games. I say that's best case scenario yeah. for South Carolina is winning three games out of their last nine in conference. And I, um, I don't see a world where that happens, you no. know, just based on so the e- product they're putting right. out. And even if, so if they were to do that, if you win the three, so that puts you at 28 and 27 entering the SEC tournament. That means if you lose that first game, you're, you're just scraping by. Yeah. And that's also barring eligible. any potential, you know, rainouts of the Furman games. I don't right. know what the weather looks like this week, but this spring has been wonky in the middle of the week. So you never know. Right. So it's just, and like, like we, I think we said this even at the, uh, after Alabama played them and we could see where the talent was, but we could see why they were struggling. Even if they are eligible I don't know if that's a tournament team yeah. to begin with. Just a tailspin of a, a of a second half of conference schedule for South Carolina. Yeah, if we need to, I'll pull up the resume in a couple of weeks, but you know, it, it's not super pretty. Yeah. The R- RPI is fine. Best case scenario, you're a three seed somewhere. Yeah. And it, it probably it's gets a real uphill battle for a team that has, you know, obviously struggled to get in that position. Yeah, if we get to a point, I'll pull up comparison resumes from last year and this year because I, I feel like the look on paper is probably pretty similar. Yeah. The other series to cover, actually, we've got two more, including one where game three is about to start as we record. Georgia wins on the road at Missouri. Missouri, again, just continues to be Jekyll and Hyde. Georgia wins game one, 4-3. Game two, I watched it. I don't know if you had it on. It was very early on that Friday Missouri wins at 6-2. The power shows up. They get to each Georgia pitcher that comes in. I was like, there we go. That's the Missouri team. I was texting Amanda Scarborough, and I was like, that's the Missouri team that we expected mm-hmm. all year long. Game three comes in, and Madison Kerpik shuts them down again. Georgia wins 3-1, and it's like, I mean, can you ever just get good Missouri two days in a row? I feel like at this point the answer is no. We're, we're so late in this, it's now a full-on trend. Yeah, lack of consistency uh, has been an issue for Missouri all season long. And then they're kind of doing the reverse of what Alabama does to where, you know, if Alabama is struggling offensively through the first four or five innings, there's still a chance where the tide's going to break through and going to find a way. And we've seen Alabama do that several times this year. There's no evidence that Missouri will will turn things around in a game where things are are, have gone poorly to start off with. If if it's – if they've got – you know, one hit and no runs through three or four innings, there's nothing to say that they're going to, you know, find it in the sixth or the seventh. Right. Totally. And and that's, you know, and you have to do that in the SEC because they're, you're going to run up against pitchers that are going to the first time through the first and or second times through the order are going to just absolutely shut you down. And you have to find a way to do it in the third time through the order. And Missouri just hasn't been able to do that. And if you're Georgia, you know, you lose the non-Madison Kerpix game again. Which, I mean, I feel like this is a team that's that's going to go as far as Kerpers can carry them when we get to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, because they and have, the offense can you know right. cover up some things. Right. But the rest of the pitchers are not just giving up runs; they're giving up the long ball a lot, and right. that is a problem. You can ask your offense to go out and score five or six runs, but you're you're with when the other pitchers are going, you're asking the offense to go out. All right, we probably need you to put up a ten spot. And, you know, more often than not, it's just not going to happen. 
Speaking of 10 spot. Oh, one more series to talk about in Knoxville game three, Monday night softball starting right about now, Tennessee. What a game. I'm sure it'll be. Oh my gosh. Buckle up America, (laughs) Tennessee and Texas A&M. So both the first two games, Tennessee wins on a walk-off. The people with long memories will recall that last year in the SEC tournament, Tennessee and Texas A&M met. Tennessee walked it off mm. in Tuscaloosa. We were both sitting there behind the Aggie dugout. We were we were right there front row, and we heard some expletives coming yeah. from the A&M dugout on the way out. This is an A&M team that just doesn't know how to win. It is the most confounding thing right, right now in the SEC. They have a lot of talent. They put themselves in positions to win. And then whether it be in a game that's three to two or like yesterday, 11 to eight, they cannot find a way to close the deal. What, what was, what was the deficit? It was like, it was so A&M had four home runs in the top of the sixth yeah. to go up eight, four. Right. And that's another thing. Like you should have all the momentum there. Not only yes. you're up by four, the way that you've scored those runs you, that you, you should be just absolutely walking on cloud nine. Doesn't matter who the pitcher's out there. They're going to go out there and shut down the, the other, the opponent. Not what happened. No. And, and I mean, we understand A&M's got a lot of injuries. Ackerman was not playing this week. I, I haven't looked at the lineups today. In fact, I'll take a look now, but I would assume she is not playing tonight for the Aggies. Yep. Out of the lineup. So like we get it, you know, you're having Herzog out in left field. That's not ideal. Right. But still, at some point, it's an identity thing. It's a DNA thing. And winning is just not in the Aggies' DNA. I think, you know, they've got nine losses by one run. And last night, I counted, I believe, a 9-16 and 16 record in games decided by three runs or less. Right. And, and again, comparing it to Alabama, you know, Alabama has a tremendous record yeah. in one or two loss, one or two run games. Yeah, I, three or less at 16-2. and two. Right. And so that that's just... That is the difference between having a team that knows how to win and has that clutch gene in them and a team that just doesn't. And that's what AM is right now. They have the opportunity. They're facing a Tennessee team that still hasn't pitched Ashley Rogers. Yeah, and, that's and, a real story, too. Edmondson going in, in this game. And they had Ashley Rogers as a starting pitcher yesterday until about 30 minutes before the game. And then all of a sudden they made a quick they made a change. So not sure if there was an injury that flared up or what the issue is with Ashley Rogers. But I think if you're Tennessee, you don't you you just have to assume she's not available. From here on out and this and then if she is that's a it's a plus but you have i think you have to have your uh game plan as though ashley rogers isn't going to be there and so a&m had an opportunity this weekend to go on the road and maybe win a series if you hold on and win win yesterday win today you win this series and, and you're you know trying to break out of that that middle to bottom of the pack but you know now Tennessee has really kind of submitted A&M where they are. Yeah, and if A&M can figure it out when they get to the NCAA tournament, you're going to be a one seed that looks up and sees a team with Haley Lee and Trandy Cannon and Herzog and and a lot of good bats. If they can figure out how to close games, that's a team that could come out of a regional. Yeah, But they've got to figure it out, and they don't have much time to do it. Yeah, when A&M comes into Austin and takes on Texas, because you know that's where the committee's going to send them. Oh, for sure. Then – because geography is a, an issue for some reason in, in the tournament. They're either going to Austin or Norman. So yeah. prepare, oh, yeah. <laughs> prepare accordingly. If they go, if they go to Norman, just, you know, it was a great season A&M. We'll yeah. see you next year. But if, if they go to, if they go to Austin and they have figured it out, then that would be a possibility. It's time for Gray's FGCL corner before we steal second coming up in a bit with BMO. Usual suspects. We have seven nominees. Tom will make 
a decision on two finalists. I'll pick a winner. Bada bing, bada boom. You ready, Tom? Let's go. All right. Make sure, make sure no one knocks at the door before we, we get these things. Security. All right. <laughs> Our first nominee is Paige Rao, Villanova. Eight and two-thirds innings pitch, six hits, five runs, all earned, no walks, nine strikeouts, four for nine at the plate, six RBI, a home run, a double, four walks, two strikeouts, and four runs scored. Good stats there, but she's on this list because during game one against Creighton, she set the all-time Villanova record for runs scored and RBI, which is impressive because she also pitches and has been Big East Pitcher of the Year like five times. And she also didn't start her career career at Villanova. Right. That's incredible too. <laughs> so Paige Rao, a, a, I don't know if you're going to win this award this week, but a hearty congratulations on an incredible career. Well done. Well done. Mackenzie Wagner, Liberty, a 10.2 innings pitched week of work for the Flames with six hits, one run. It was earned four walks and seven strikeouts. That is a very, very crisp 0.69 ERA. Tiffany Demink for USC Upstate. Five for nine, six RBI, two home runs, a triple, a strikeout, five runs scored. Ashley Likens at Furman. Five for 17 on the week. One RBI, two walks and a run scored. Sorry, week for a leadoff. Yeah. On this list, because in game three against Samford, she walked it off to help Furman win one nothing, and also giving Samford their first Southern Conference Loss. Sanford now eight and one oh, wow. in the league this year. So great job, Ashley Likens coming up clutch and helping out all the teams in your conference. <laughs> there were there were a lot of people, not just Furman, who were celebrating that RBI. Didn't realize Sanford was doing that well. Yeah, killing it. So for again, the, the four seed in Tuscaloosa probably trying to wrap that up. Yeah, well, maybe yeah. East Tennessee State still in the mix in mm. SoCon, but yes, lots, lots happening in the state of Alabama. Jules Garber at Delaware. Six for 10, a double, two runs scored. Solid 600 batting average on the mm-hmm. week. Maisie McFarlane, Utah State, another 600 batting average. Six for 10, three ribbies, three walks, three strikeouts, and five runs scored. And finally, Michaela Frazier, five for seven, three RBI, a double, and four runs scored. So this year, Tom, we have had nine different winners. And I do believe... I think we're guaranteed to have a new, a, a new one today, too. That's right. So here we go. Give me your finalist. All right. Well, I'm going to go with... We'll go with Paige Rao as one. And Tiffany Domingue. I'm going to go Paige Rao. All right. So you know what? I do know what's going to happen, Paige. You're going to win the FGCL Player of the Week. Yay! Great All job, right. Paige yes. Rao. This is... You know how, well, you don't know, but sometimes in the Oscars, when you win, it's like a It's Time Award. Right. This is the It's Time Award for Paige Rao. She's been so good all her career and really good at times this year. And now with with all of the accolades she just reached this week, it was time to give her FGCL Player of the Week. She she kept having her great weeks when like somebody hit a walk-off homer against UCLA. Right. Right, yeah. (laughs) So Paige Rao, your FGCL Player of the Week. All right, Tom, it's time to put on the burners and chat with the BMO. Let's go. I'm ready. Beth Moens is coming. The voice of college softball will be here on the Out of the Box podcast when we come back. Stealing second is next as we roll on here on the Out of the Box podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast, and it is time to steal second on this week's episode. Gray Robertson alongside, of course, Tom Canterbury. And we are now closing up 
the list of the seven innings podcast guests. We've had everybody pretty much except for one name. We, we, we needed the quarterback. We needed the leader. <laughs> and that's who's joining us now here on the Stealing Second <laughs> portion of the show. You know her as the voice of college softball, play-by-play analyst for ESPN. Of course, the host of the seven innings podcast, now turned TV show. Beth Moens is here with us. Beth, it's so nice to have you on. How are you? Thank you so much, guys. I'm going to assume you saved the best for last and that you haven't been dodging me all this time, but uh, thrilled to be a part of the show. You nailed it. That's exactly <laughs> it. And you know what? I love that we got a chance to to see you the last couple of weeks, not this past weekend, but the two series prior because you were getting a chance to call some Alabama games in person. So I'm going to ask your opinion of the Crimson Tide based on what you've seen you know, in games watching from home and also from what you've called. Yeah, you you know, obviously their resume right now is second to none. And, you know, in terms of the quality of wins and the quantity of wins and the fact that they're right there in the thick of, of the SEC race with what what looks like a pretty good schedule to close things out, guys, I, I really love their chances of, um, you know, getting a crack at that regular season title and making a run at, at uh, defending that tournament title and certainly – you know, with the Rhodes House and the amazing home field advantage that uh, that you have in Tuscaloosa, uh, you know, I, I think their chances are great to make another deep run in the tournament. Um, you know, I, I think with so many new faces, it, it took a while for, for everybody to kind of get on the same page and get comfortable, especially the youngsters um, in, in, you know, playing in the SEC and, and as good as the competition is in the league. And and, you know, you see Bloodworth come through in the clutch like she did this past weekend. And, and you just see the heart of the team. You know, no, no deficit is safe for an opponent. Um, and, and their ability to make those kinds of comebacks and put together big innings, I think it bodes well. And the fact that they're doing it when, you know, statistically, Montana uh, probably not having the, the kind of season that everybody anticipated, but the results are still there. And so I think that's a real positive, And you put that together with the way that Lexi was pitching the two weekends that we saw them, um, you know, they, they have all of the pieces. They have all three phases clicking. And I think that bodes real well. Alabama has the best resume, but the consensus number one team is still Oklahoma, but the Sooners did finally drop a game. They lost that game number three to Texas. Uh, what do you think the fact that they finally lost the game, what does that kind of do for the landscape of all of college softball? Well, you know, selfishly, we have their series, uh, their Bedlam series to close out the regular season. So there may have been a few of us on the crew that were hoping they would be undefeated into that. And, and <laughs> as Bedlamy as Bedlam is, that would have been even more Bedlamy, I suppose. Yeah, right. <laughs> the Bedlamist um, yes. of all. Yeah. Right. Bed, bed, Bedlamist. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, any, I, I think a team that is, looks that good and plays that well and is that dominant. You know, it's like Alabama football. It's like UConn basketball. There is a, I think, um, a desire in all of us to watch people pursue perfection. And with an undefeated record, I think that's something that we all sort of, um, you know, are, are drawn into. And so in that regard, I think it's great for the sport. There's also a love them or hate them kind of quality to those types of teams, right? You know, you either... You, you want to see them get to the World Series and then see somebody knock them off, or you, you, know, you hope they lose every game. But regardless, you're paying attention. And 
there are debates amongst softball fans all across the country when it comes to Oklahoma. And so I think all of those are positive things. Um, and, and the fact that, that, you know, a team like Texas can put it all together and have a day like they had uh, anybody, um, you know, in the top 20 probably right now is capable of giving them a run for the money and it's capable of knocking them off. And I, I think they're loving every minute of this us against the world mentality that they will take with them throughout the entire postseason. If you're on, you know, uh, in the Oklahoma fan base. Mm-hmm. Beth, you've seen a lot of teams this year, and I feel like this season we're focused a lot on the top five who've kind of separated themselves, Oklahoma, Alabama, UCLA, Virginia Tech, Florida State. Is there anybody else kind of that you've seen or gotten to watch uh, on TV that you feel like we aren't talking enough about at this point in the year? Well, you know, I think first and foremost, I've learned over the years, I'm never going to count out Tim Walton in Florida. If they get things going, you know, and hit the ball the way they did last weekend, um, I think they, they are a team just because of the experience that he and that coaching staff have of, of getting them ready for the big games in the postseason. They're going to be a real tough out. I think Washington, you know, when you have the kind of talent they have at the plate and then you have a Gabby Plain who is going to be so well-rested and so ready to go in the postseason, I think their big thing is going to be to try and avoid, you know, say that 16 seed again where they'll get sent to Oklahoma or the 15 seed and they end up at the Rhodes House. That could be real trouble for them. But that that's another team I'm keeping an eye on. Um, and then, you know what, I, I have been real impressed watching Northwestern. And they are in a position right now to – uh, host not only a regional, but, but possibly a super regional. They have a good pitcher. Um, you know, I, I think the challenge for them is they won't be seeing the type of pitching throughout the rest of the Big Ten schedule that some other schools will in the Pac-12 and, and in the SEC and the ACC. So I don't know if that will catch up to them eventually, but that's another team um, that, that I would keep an eye on. And uh, I have seen Arkansas on TV, but not in person yet. And they seem to have the goods too. You know, if they if they get on a heater in the postseason, I think they could be real tough. Talking a big picture for the sport, you you've kind of been there from the from the humble beginnings of of college softball and what's going on at the women's college world series up until now. You've really seen the evolution of the sport, um, and with the added kind of the the scrutiny that is being put on because there is more media coverage on it now. How have you seen the selection committee kind of evolve the way that they uh, put together uh, the Women's College World Series and the NCAA tournament as a whole? Yeah, well, what, what I think is, you know, we, first of all, all, all the folks on the selection committee, no matter what the sport, you know, we commend them for putting in all the work and all the hours, and it, it's really a thankless job. And, and um, you know, it takes a lot to do what they do. I think ultimately where we're headed now because of all the scrutiny, because of all the money and because of all um, the, the media attention as well. I think that's the big thing. We're going to start heading towards, you know, let's get all softball people on the softball committee, whether they're retired coaches, whether they're SWAs that have been around softball their whole life, whether they're former players that are um, in the sport still or in academia still. I think those are the kinds of people that we need to start seeing on softball selection committees and on basketball and volleyball selection committees. I think that will go a long way towards 
finding that right blend of the eye, techs, uh, eye test with the mathematics involved and the analytics of, involved. Yeah, Beth, I wanted to ask about what you want to see more of a focus on. And I, I think for me, it's more eye tests. Last year, what was a, a real pleasant surprise was seeing the committee put Oklahoma at number one when resume-wise, everybody thought it would be UCLA. Even Alabama had a better resume than the Sooners did going into the tournament. But the committee said the eye test was what separated OU for that top seed. I like that they're starting to use that more, and I think that they should really try and implement it even more, not just seeding the top two or three spots, but as much of a tournament as possible. Yeah, I, I, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. You know, o- Oklahoma has the big series coming up with Oklahoma State because th- their numbers aren't the greatest. Their strength of schedule is not going to be the greatest. But the eye test with Oklahoma is just so good. Like, I, you know, I, I have them still at, at number one. But the eye test for, um, you know, an Alabama or a Florida or an Arkansas or, or Kentucky, whoever comes out on top of that SEC, I mean, just the eye test of winning the SEC tournament will be pretty spectacular, whoever that might be. And their numbers are going to be vastly buddy, with the exception maybe of Virginia Tech, uh, who's, who's, you know, wins against top 25 and top 50 are are right uh, the, the top 25 wins at least are right up there around the uh, Alabamas and the UCLA's of the world. So uh, I I would I wish I could be a fly on the wall perhaps in retirement. Uh, you know they'll they'll uh, get me to join that committee and and then uh, I'll see what it's really like behind closed doors. But uh, you know that just the conversations that you can have that I think would be even better with so- softball people in the room. Yeah. But I uh, wanted to get your thoughts on one of my thoughts is especially earlier on in the term when you go have all 64 teams, I would like to see them go to more of a basketball style model. You still have regionals and super regionals, but that they're not taking geography as much into account. The NCAA and whoever's putting this on has enough money. They can, they can fly, you know, the four seed, you know, across country if they need to, I would like to be a, a true seed of one through 16 and then 17 to 32 in reverse so that we have the best possible matchups, even in regionals. Yeah. And I think that really um, came to the fore this year in the, in the basketball tournament, because NC state was better than Louisville, you know, by all the metrics and the head to heads, And they get the one seed in Bridgeport because geographically that's what they're closer to. They should have actually been to Wichita and right. Louisville should have been the team in Bridgeport because just the eye test and historically you're saying to yourself, there's no way UConn's going to lose a quote unquote home game. So geography really, I think did a disservice. And of course that game had to head uh, NC state and UConn was one of the best of the whole tournament. So I, I would love to see that as well in the softball tournament. And then if you have to make adjustments, it needs to be below the 16. It needs to be, don't hurt a higher seed to the benefit of a lower seed. And sometimes with geography, that ends up happening. So we need to get that true S-curve in place. It'd be great if we could get it the full 64. Yeah. Beth Moen's here joining us from ESPN on the Out of the Box podcast. Also, of course, from the Seven Innings podcast. And Beth, let's talk about it. 
you made the transition from straight up podcast to now TV show. I've talked a little bit with Jen Schroeder and Amanda Scarborough about what that schedule is like and how much longer it makes the day. But from your standpoint, how much does it change the preparation that you put into the podcast? Knowing it, it's not you know just audio. Now you've got the full video and, and you've got graphics and tape and all that stuff. Oh, man, it's a lot of pressure. I'll tell you what, this TV business, I'm, I'm not used to that, you know, uh, getting all dialed up all the time. <laughs> um, we are very fortunate at ESPN. We have some amazing people behind the scenes. And since we're doing so many games, guys, a lot of the graphics that you see and a lot of the footage that you see um, is, is already done because we've utilized it on games or we're getting ready to use it on an upcoming game or at the World Series. So a great deal of that is prepared ahead of time. It's just finding out ways to plug that in. Uh, you know, Jen did all those interviews uh, in the early season tournaments and got a lot of uh, uh, sound and footage that we can use throughout the season. And so sometimes we'll come up with an idea and that may be one a package on this you know I think last week we had the the uh, special package on the growth of the ACC over the years and so uh, those a lot of that stuff is already done for us and then we just have to sort of figure out where to best plug it in and where to fit it into the lineup card and sort of make smooth transitions throughout our lineup almost as if they were batters in the batting order. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, that brings another question that just pops into my head. I don't know if I've ever seen it or heard it from anyone else. How did the podcast start? What what spawned this whole seven innings universe now? Well, we always, you know, talked about with the growth of the sport, how can we, you know, continue conversations or even start conversations away from the actual games and get into more in-depth discussions about, you know, the, the, uh, what everybody else in the sport was talking about on, at any given week. And, you know, we just the lineup card, you see it in everybody's dugout everywhere you go. And that's what we all grew up with. Sort of that, you know, uh, come up with a game plan and come up with a lineup that would uh, sort of make things run more effectively just seemed like a great visual and we, you know, just to put it all together in, in one big package with a pretty bow on it. And so it, it just started with all of us just talking and figuring out, well, you know, we don't get to see each other as much as we'd like as a group. You know, we're usually just with one or two other people. So the podcast was a way sort of to bring us all together and, and talk about stuff. And then we're like, well, why don't we just start recording this and, and get it out there to share with everybody else and, and just start some good conversations in, in softball. And that's how it kind of, Grew and of course it starts at the top with our fearless leader Meg Aronowitz, um, aka Jersey Meg, aka Vegas Vicky. She has all kinds of aliases on on the show. <laughs> we I, I, we just hope to one day have a nickname or have have an alias that's, here. That's all I want. That's all. That's all we're. That's our striving. We'll have to work on that. Remind me of that again at the SEC tournament. We're going to have to work on that. Awesome. Okay, consider it done. <laughs> oh wait, you but. <laughs> Speaking of the SEC tournament, the podcast, everything just as we've talked about before, just the media coverage, and there's been so much for softball in general. You know, the ratings for almost everything else has kind of gone down as there are so many different options and different ways to watch, but softball has gone up and continues to skyrocket. Where do you think the sport can be in, say, five years? 
Oh, I, you know, I think the sky's the limit. Everywhere I go, I, I go to a uh, Cubs game or I go to an NBA playoff game and people are asking me about softball. Or, hey, we were watching the game the other day. And, you know, it, it's uh, everybody loves the action. They love the fast pace of it. Uh, they love the athleticism and just the, you know, the passion with which these young women play the, the sport. And obviously they love rooting for whoever their home team is. So. I, the, the big thing I think, guys, moving forward is, you know, we have to keep up the pace of play. And that's something from a TV perspective that we try and hammer home with administrators and coaches and players all the time. You know, we have to keep this as close to a two-hour window as we can, or we will start losing TV windows and time slots because we can't put on as many games because they run too long. So, I think the challenge moving forward is as much as we love it, we have to make sure that, you know, there's a little less of it and, and we're close to two hours with these games and we keep the action fast paced and, and we keep the games moving along. Yeah. I think that's a great point because you were there in Gainesville. So were we, we failed at that. The average runtime probably for all yeah. three games of that series was three hours. And, you know, there was one extra inning game, but that's still just too long. Yeah, and I think part of that discussion this year is with the strike zone. You know, there's way too many called balls. There's way too many walks. Um, and, and that, as a result, ends up to, you know, a lot more uh, time without any action and a lot more pitching changes, which is more time in the game without any action. And so we, we need to really start looking at things and be aggressive and take the lead. You know, I think a lot of times we wait in the NCAA till the men decide to do something. And there are certain instances where we should be taking the lead and we should be experimenting or, you know, rewarding a much faster play. Amen. That's a good point. Beth Moen joining us here on the out of the box podcast. BMO, before we let you go, I want to ask you one more question about you and your college softball cohorts at ESPN, because Y'all are a blast. My favorite part about this job is getting to hang out with you and Michelle and Amanda and all JDH, all our friends that we see each and every week. But you've known these folks for many more years than we have. What are your favorite parts mm -hmm. off the air covering softball with all of those friends that you get to see uh, every couple weeks? You know, I, I think one of the things that is pretty cool about our job as a play-by-play -play announcer and, and even growing up, um, you know, you guys may have had a similar experience. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be the, the Olympic athlete or the famous coach or that, you know, the quarterback in the NFL, these guys that are being the analysts, but that other guy, that play-by-play -play guy, I could, I could be that. And as an added bonus, I get to work with the Olympian and the great players from the world series and the great coaches. And so that's probably the coolest part is to, um, you know, just sort of live through the experiences that they've had with the conversations we have and hanging out and seeing that, you know what, they're actually pretty normal people. They're, they're intelligent. They're goofy. They love to have a good time. They love hanging out with family and friends, just like all the rest of us do. And it, it all comes together through this shared passion for the, a sport that we love so much. That's, that's probably the coolest part is going out after a game and, and, uh, you know, sitting in uh, De Palma's or Chuck's Fish and, and rehashing every moment with our, our talent and our, our truck crew and what we would have done differently or what we loved about the game we just called and, 
and how much fun it is to be around the coaches and players. And Beth, you've had an opportunity to do that, not just for college softball, but virtually every sport. I saw you doing a NBA game a couple of days ago. You've, you've done baseball, college football, uh, pretty much everything, Monday yeah. night football. It's been really impressive to watch you continue to have all these opportunities and taking advantage of those. And just your thoughts on the, the trailblazingness of doing that uh, as a woman. Well, you know, when, when you're in it and you're, you know, it's, it's like any other game, you're sort of preparing for it the same way you have a routine that you go through to get ready for every, each and every game. You know, some of them may have more people watching or you may have some radio or uh, TV interviews or podcasts you do because there's a little more attention on it. But, you know, the day-to-day, it's, it's something that I always wanted to do and something I, I love to do. And so, you know, the whole key for me is enjoy it in the moment. And just like the players that you're covering, try try like crazy to be at your best in the biggest moments. And if you can do that, you know, some of those people watching you, young guys and young girls out there that, uh, you know, may have grown up in the same town or went to the same high school as you or want to pursue the same path as you know that it's possible. And that's that's pretty cool to see young people that will – you know, come up to you and say, Hey, you know, I, I really like the work that you do and I, I want to get into TV. And is there any advice or, you know, I hope I can, you know, follow that same path. And I think I can now that I've seen you do it. So that, that aspect of it has been great. Well, that's so awesome. And we're so yeah. glad that you were able to take some time and join us tonight. Uh, Beth, before you, you hop off, where are you heading this week? What's on the schedule? Uh, I'm going to my nephew's baseball game out here in uh, lovely <laughs> Southern California. Uh, and uh, his name's Aiden. He's a left-hander, so we're rooting hard for him. And then uh, we are off to our Thursday night throwdown series, Clemson at Florida State. Mm. So we're heading down to Tallahassee. Yeah, I, I think the uh, the winner of that one still has a shot. The loser's probably out of the race. Well, there so we that go. should be a lot of fun. Yeah, we'll be tuned in. Beth Moen's joining us here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Beth, thank you so much for hopping on with us. Always a pleasure. And I know for a fact we'll see you in a couple of weeks at the SEC tournament. Yes. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. You too. So there's our new pal, Bimo. Saw her two weeks in a row in Tuscaloosa, Tom. We'll see her in Gainesville, knowing how ESPN works. And if you get the right draw, we might see her in the NCAA tournament in regionals or supers. And then we know we'll see her in OKC, should we be lucky enough to go. Either way, I hope that a lot of fans listening really enjoyed that because I know I did. And I always feel like I learned something, whether we're chatting on a podcast or just hanging out in a booth. Absolutely. Yeah, it was a great conversation. And I'm really looking forward to what our nicknames are going to be uh, that they're going to come up with. Before. I'm going to text her before we go to games. I'll be like, hey, Beth. Yeah, I remember. Don't forget. <laughs> what am I? Am I G-Row? No. I said uh, G? I don't know. G-Money? No, no you like that, that one? Could, that could have no, negative <laughs> connotations. Um, yeah, I don't know. All my players back when I coached football in high school, did you know I did that? Huh. All my players called me Coach G. Uh, I don't know, maybe that. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I don't coach softball, though, so that doesn't work. <laughs> Either way, thank you to Beth Moens for coming on. And now, Tom, it's time for me to expose myself to the world with whoa, predictions. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, whoa. Okay. Tom, <laughs> okay. with predictions All right. uh-huh. that are guaranteed to be wrong. Oh, all right. That's what's fun about rounding third. I'm good at those, too. Yeah. <laughs> Except for this week. Hey-o. That's coming up. When we get back, bracketology, big games to look forward to. We're rounding third next year on the Out of the Box Podcast.
Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. Gary Robertson, Tom Canterbury. You know that by now. It's time to round third with Bracketology. It's getting hot and heavy. It's getting spicy, Tom. <laughs> and by hot and heavy, I mean I was sweating thinking about how mad some people might be with the decisions I make. Because oh, at wow. one point I wrote something out and I was like, that doesn't make any sense. There's no way that's the case. And yet here we are. Yes. Okay. Here are my top 16 seeds. We'll present those in order and then give you what supers would look like. And then, as usual, Tom will pepper me with questions. Our top seed is Oklahoma. It's hard for me to see that changing unless I get swept by Oklahoma State. And even then, still. Number two, Alabama. Three, Virginia Tech. Four, UCLA. Five, Florida State. Six, Northwestern. I feel like that top six, pretty close to a lock. Top five for sure. Northwestern's pretty darn close. And then it gets tricky. Seven, Florida, eight, Arkansas. Don't ask me any questions about that, Tom, because that'll be answered this weekend. We'll let the field of play decide how to order the Hogs and the Gators. Nine, Duke, 10, Clemson, 11, Arizona State, 12, Texas, 13, Tennessee, 14, Oklahoma State, 15, Kentucky, 16, Washington. So your Supers matchups would be 116, Oklahoma, Washington. Which, which we wanted last year. Washington to be able to beat Oklahoma and they would just refuse to do it. You picked it. I know. Yeah. Didn't, didn't get no. that one right. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> Two fifteen, Alabama, Kentucky. I can't, oh, it, no. keep, it keeps, Come on. it keeps aligning that way. No one wants that. Three fourteen, Virginia tech, Oklahoma state, which would actually be really good. Four thirteen, UCLA, Tennessee, five twelve, Florida state, Texas, six eleven, Northwestern, Arizona state. 7-10, Florida Clemson, 8-9, Arkansas Duke. So, Tom, let's begin. Pepper me with your questions. Send your questions my way <laughs> as I try and field my position. So you said that you think the top six is pretty much locked in. Is Northwestern really locked in as a top six? What, what would have to happen for them to not be where you think that they are right now? Lose a, a series to a bad team in the Big Ten because they're, they're pretty much – they're, they might win the conference. Nebraska, Nebraska's not on this list, and they won't be because they have sub-100 losses from the non-conference, but they're still undefeated in Big Ten play. You know, it's They don't play Northwestern and Nebraska in the regular season, so it, it might be out of Northwestern's control. But I, I think if the Wildcats keep on rolling the way that they are, it's going to be really hard to knock them out of that top tier. The top five, to me, there's a huge amount of separation in the RPI and resume-wise between Oklahoma, Alabama, Virginia Tech, UCLA, Florida State, and everybody else. I just think Northwestern, the quality wins they've put up, the avoidance of the bad loss in conference play. They had like a weird 48 hours in California in the non-con where they picked up their quote-unquote bad losses. And outside of that, they've beaten everybody they're supposed to beat. Uh, They're very close to reaching that group. Um, Not quite there yet. But it's hard for me to see a world based on how they've played where they lose some unexpected games and fall out of this top eight. 
as it is right now, you have four ACC teams in the top 10. Is there a scenario where all four of those remain in the top 10? Or do you think that at least one drops out? I would see, I see a world where somebody gets passed up where in Arizona state, if they win the PAC 12, they'll probably jump, you know, that Duke Clemson duo right there on the fringe of a top eight. Uh, I can see a world where Texas, you know, they just picked up the best win in the country for anybody. They've got more chances with going to Oklahoma State this weekend. So if they keep racking up quality wins, they can jump the Duke and the Clemson. You know, the RPI is a formula. It's very hard to disagree with math, but I'm not quite sure why Clemson and Duke are so high right now. Duke number six ahead of Northwestern. Clemson, you know, won two out of three against Notre Dame and moved up like four spots this week. Uh, Very, very interesting I don't have those teams that high based on the resume and I see a world where some of these teams behind them can certainly jump past. To avoid the possible repeat matchups and supers of Washington, Oklahoma and Alabama, Kentucky, do we need to be rooting for Kentucky and Washington to win or to lose? How about we root for the committee to just do a little flip? <laughs> right, right. I, I just went straight seating. I didn't go. Right. I did by what the committee says they do. Sure. Uh, if I were actually trying to seed this for bracket purposes, I would say, you know what? Let's just yeah. let's just have Kentucky go to Norman. We saw that in the regular season, but it was in Lexington. Let's have Washington go to Alabama. We saw that a couple of years ago in Supers, but it was in Seattle. Those are matchups of intrigue. That's an example of something I think the committee could do better, which is, you know what? There's not a huge difference between Kentucky and Washington. Let's just flip them. Yeah. I didn't do that because that's not the point of what I'm trying to do here. But my job isn't to craft the perfect bracket. It's to, uh, well, the job I've given myself is to seed the teams. <laughs> no one's paying yeah. you to do this. Right. Seed the teams one through 16. I felt like it, you know, if I were actually putting a bracket together, you would probably see Washington at 15 and Kentucky at 16. Is there a way we can just have them both either drop out of the top 16 or move up away from 15, 16? So we're not relying on the committee to do what would be an obvious thing, common sense to do. Well, if you're tracking this week to week, which Godspeed, you will (laughs) notice that Oklahoma State has fallen a bit each and every week. And they're right now in the 14 spot. That's because there's a lot to not like about the resume. There are some good things here, but there's a lot to not like. So they played two top 10 RPI games. They're one and one strength of schedule at 54. They have a a bad loss at UT Arlington, 108 in the RPI. Their average RPI of losses is 43, which is really high compared to a lot of the teams in the packet. Uh, And now they've got chances for quality wins with Texas this weekend and and Bedlam, of course, that BMO just talked about coming up soon. But let's say there's a world where they only win one of those six games. I could see Oklahoma State down in the 16 spot or, you know, if they were to drop a couple others in the Big 12 or just go on a cold streak, even out. You know, again, I think Oklahoma State is, of course, talent wise, a top 16 team. But right now, the resume is not as strong as I would want it to be. That being said, again, they have a lot of chances to firm it up these next few weeks. Looking at those top seeds, does Virginia Tech's loss to Virginia, barring Alabama having a bad loss down the stretch, does that, in addition to Alabama winning the two games on the field, pretty much submit Alabama to be ahead of Virginia Tech in the final bracket? Pretty much. If you look at the resume, it's very hard to find teams who don't have – a bad loss. You know, Oklahoma's worst loss is Texas. 
13. Mm. Alabama is their only one. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so by default, the right. worst. Alabama's worst loss is LSU. That's 20 in the RPI. Uh, UCLA's 35. Stanford, it's okay. Stanford's a tournament team, but 35 is, is outside the top 25. The only other team with their worst loss inside, not outside the top 25, is, is Duke, which is interesting. Yes. So everybody else has a questionable loss somewhere. And I feel like Virginia Tech finally being added to that list. You know, Charlotte had been drifting around the top 25 range, but, you know, Virginia is not going to be anywhere close to that mark. To me, gives Alabama a decent cushion to be a to be the number two seed and you know if Oklahoma falters there is a world where Alabama could be the number one overall seed because resume wise as as Beth talked about Alabama on paper stacks up really well compared to the Sooners what would like would it be like a sweep to Oklahoma State for Oklahoma to fall that far Probably. And another loss somewhere, which I don't even know where that would be. Maybe the round robin big yeah, 12 tournament so lose against somehow, Texas or okay, not even yeah. like dropped to, somehow to Baylor. They finally right. lose to Baylor. Right. I, I really Oklahoma fans, you know, they thought that Alabama people were excited about OU losing to Texas because it meant Alabama yeah. be number one. No. First yeah. off. Yeah. Wait, also, let's not go too much. This is part of my uh, off the wall. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. I, I would just like to say the polls, you know, they don't matter, but also, yeah. The committee, as we talked about with Beth, is starting to use eye test more. And the greater evidence that we have is that Oklahoma is the number one team in the country. And I think it would really take something Herculean for the Sooners not to be number one. So there we have it. Unless Alabama blows out everybody, wins the conference, wins the SEC tournament, and I test wise is up there with OU. Run rules. Yeah, yeah, right. It, it it's really hard for me to see a world where anybody passes the Sooners, let alone Alabama. And ultimately, I mean, yeah, you'd love to be the number one seed, but as long as you're in the top eight, you know, right. you're okay. Yeah, as long as you're <laughs> in the top eight and honestly avoiding Oklahoma. Right. The, so the, I, so I Alabama, just don't want to play Oklahoma first in OKC. Right. Yeah, so Alabama at number two is is a is a fine spot to be. Yes. Yeah, don't, don't worry if you're an Alabama fan, which I assume most people are that are listening. All right, I did want to point out, uh, so the page has had 24 teams up to this point. We're going to be cutting to 20 oh, next week. Pruning. So the teams that are on the cut line, in danger of falling out of the packet, Auburn. Oh, I hate to see that. I got to tell you, Mickey Dean did them no favors with their non-conference strength of schedule this no. year. I Look, I don't want you to schedule a gauntlet. You don't have to play the schedule Alabama did this year. But a non-con SOS of 181 – it almost knocks you out by default. The only reason Auburn is still somewhat on the page is because A, we know what they can be, and B, their overall record's 32 and nine, because metrically, this is not great. Who do they have this weekend? At Mississippi State. So, you know, Mississippi State, 29 in the RPI, that's fine. Right. But might need to sweep them to stay in, yeah. in the packet. So they're in trouble. Michigan is in trouble. Michigan, stop losing to bad Big Ten teams. Maryland is better, but they're still not quote-unquote good. They just got inside the top 100 in the RPI. Penn State, not good either. No, Penn State, again, better, right? but still not Mm. not games you should be losing if you would like to host a regional. They they are certainly the one softball team. Ohio State is in danger of falling out of the packet. Uh, LSU will forever be in danger of either hosting or falling off the packet. They can (laughs) go either way. They can either be hosting Super Regionals or not in the tournament at all. We never know. Yeah, and then Oregon, win some games. Win some good games. Here are their three best wins this season. Ole Miss, this is Oregon. 
30 in the RPI Ole Misses. They won one game against 36 Arizona and a road win over 45th North Carolina. It does not no. get better than that. No, that's that's so the peak. Ducks win some games. You'll have a few chances. Get the quality win so you don't fall off the page because their RPI is high enough to where I've had to keep them on, but this is another week where they're not even in my top 20 list. Well, they got Washington this weekend, so. Yeah, if you can just win a game, maybe we'll see. Any other questions you have? I think we're good. Okay. It's all going to change. Might change tonight. What's the score of Tennessee? <laughs> oh, Tennessee's oh. already up 2 nothing. so. Of course. Good for you. All right, big games coming up this weekend and really all week. Tuesday, as we record, that's tomorrow. You've got Notre Dame at Indiana. Big for Notre Dame. They're 19th on this bracketology list. Indiana's not a bad team, but if you want to host a regional, you, you need to take care of the teams you're supposed to beat from here on, here on out. Uh, Louisiana, two games at Illinois, Tom, which is – that could be tricky. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Interesting schedule, really, for both teams because that's kind of a – you know, intersectional matchup and you go out up to Illinois, if you're Louisiana, you got to win those games because uh, they've had a few more losses than they, I'm sure they were expecting yeah. when they made that schedule. And then Illinois has got some good wins against SEC teams, but outside of that, you know, that they still need to pick up some other big ones. And then Wednesday, you've got just a gargantuan slate across the country. Uh, two games that I want to highlight, of course, the biggie, on Big ESPN at 6 o'clock Central Time, Amanda Scarborough, I know is on the call, not, not sure who she is with, Virginia Tech at Tennessee. Huge. Yes. Huge for Tennessee. You got a top five RPI team at home. Huge for Virginia Tech. You know, you can, you can pick up a really good road win. Um, I'm not quite sure what Virginia Tech's ceiling is at this point. Uh, it might be three. But this is a great chance for the Lady Balls and a great chance for softball to be on TV in the middle of the week on the big, big, big ESPN. Yeah, on the mothership. And if there's any chance that Virginia Tech has to try to get past that number three spot, they have to beat Tennessee. Yeah. The other one I want to highlight is USCF State at Georgia. Now, typically you would look at this and say, yeah, yeah, it's another Georgia midweek. They should win. Well, not so fast, my friends. Every week you have heard us mention somebody from upstate on FGCL Player of the Week. This is a team that is 41-4 and four this year. Now, their RPI sucks. It's like mid-60s. So they're not, probably not going to get an at-large bid. But they've got the talent to maybe hang around in Athens. So this is one of those games that I'm going to have my eye on, Tom. Yeah, and if, uh, if they are to win their – win their league and get that automatic bid you just have they're not probably not going to get it at large watch out wouldn't they have to go to clemson probably in regionals Ooh. If, if if we do again by geography well done yeah so that that should be very interesting but yeah that's a that's a game that georgia will probably not pitch Kerpix, i would think and this is a upstate team with a lot of big boppers yeah. tiffany Demink, as we talked about peyton darnell casey gogetz those are just his, the fgcl girls right yeah i got a lot of pop so yeah watch out also, uh, just one more, South Florida at Florida. If Corrick pitches, all bets are off. So, yeah, there we go. The weekend, you know, we, of course, have Clemson at Florida State that BMO talked about on the Thursday night throwdown. ESPN2, super fun that we get a Thursday night game that we can watch on national TV. I really hope that BMO and Michelle Smith go to the circus. <laughs> can we do that's, it? That's got to be a package. Got Holly in the pa- doing the trapeze tightrope. Yeah. Oh, yes. Got to happen. That being said, I will include that in this next question. What series, as we always look at, sticks out to you? 
What what jumps off the page, Tom, in terms of importance and excitement? Texas Oklahoma State does for me because you got what is Texas going to be able to do? Are they going to have a letdown after getting the big win over Oklahoma? Will they be able to continue rolling? Uh, like I said, this is kind of a tell two teams. Texas has been moving up in, in your in your bracketology. Oklahoma State's been going down. Will they be able to change those trajectories? Huge series for both those teams battling for second in the Big 12. I will say UCLA at Oregon State. Oregon State just got swept by Washington, but you know we know the talent that they have in the circle and at the plate, and UCLA had an off week, like a legit off week. They didn't do anything after losing the series to Stanford. Which Alabama has in a couple of weeks. I, I like, I'm, are we going to the beach? What are we doing? Have we decided? Unusually excited for... <laughs> For not playing just softball. Just going to watch it's softball. We yeah, very odd. Pour the drinks now. <laughs> yeah, so this is a series that it just is very intriguing to me. You know, Oregon State is good. UCLA, how do they look? What have they done in this break since losing that series to the Cardinal to get better? Also, Ohio State at Michigan. Loser of that series is, is for sure off the page. So that, that has some bracketology importance as well. Okay, are you ready to head home? I'm ready. Okay. I get the free donuts out from Krispy Kreme, <laughs> if only. Mm. I actually missed that. I, I made a joke on air about it, and then I felt bad because it was a lie. I didn't have any donuts. Oh. I told Sid I did. <laughs> oh, well. Either way, Tom, it's time to head home. Let's go. Let's do it. When we come back, picks. Tom is trying to pull off the impossible. Can he do it? He just needs AM pitching to not walk everybody. Oh, so good luck with that. Thank you very much. We've got picks off the wall and more good stuff when we get back here on the Out of the Box podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. It's time to head home, roll down your window, or you know, get in the car and drive 10 hours like I will in a couple days. Let's wrap up this podcast. We've got picks and off the wall coming up. But of course, Tom, we have to look back. Here's what we've done on episode 50. We started at the plate, talked about Alabama and the week that was. Then we advanced to first SEC, pitcher of the year, all that good stuff. Stole second with BMO. Always good to have a legend on the show. Oh, so much fun talking with her. We rounded third, bracketology. I exposed my belly. So pick at it. Many of you will, I'm sure. And now it's time to head home. And Look at the quest for perfection. Oh, it's not just an Oklahoma thing anymore. <laughs> Tom Canterbury, six for six on picks with one to go. Now that one, we both picked Tennessee to beat AM 2-1. And as we record, the Lady Balls uh, do lead 2-1 over mm. the Aggies. So you're pulling for a gigum comeback, Tom. Oh, come on, you Aggies. Just pulling for Mackenzie Herzog to find the zone. Right. Just, just throw it. Keep pitching to Haley Lee. Within the navigational beacon. <laughs> so either way, as we look at it, Tom, six for six as it stands. Props to you. This Thank is you very much. A get the cake. This is great. I'll, I will treat you to a dessert of some kind oh, at College Station. Wow. Maybe I'll find Roy and have him give us some potato salad. That's all I want, really. Yeah, that's your game. <laughs> that's potato really, salad. Yes. It looks the same, too. Mm. So, six for six. You got Oklahoma 2 1, LSU 3 0, Florida getting the sweep, Georgia 2 1, Arkansas 2 1, Bama sweep. I got four right, LSU sweep, Bama sweep, Georgia 2 1, Arkansas 2 1. We're both going to either be right or wrong in AM. So, you're up by two. And, and we've gotten 44 combined correct. It's crazy. In a year that is the most unpredictable, we have done the best job we've probably ever done. It doesn't make any sense. And no one's ever had a a perfect week. No. 
it never happened. We have wow. more often than not, we'll get like one or two. Right. And that's it. <laughs> Cause the hard part is getting the series right. And right. And somehow we have done that exquisitely this mm. season. We've picked all the right sweeps that we were told were hard to come by. But right. Apparently not. Okay. So as usual, we've got a non-conference series and we pick all the SEC series. We will start with the non-con Texas at Oklahoma state. Now there are two ways that this can go. Texas is either going to feel the hangover. You know, it meant a lot to get off the schneid against OU. They got the monkey off the back. They ended that super long losing streak to the Sooners. You mm. could tell by the celebration how much it meant to them. They were very excited. Oklahoma still won the series, I would like to True. point out. True, that did, yes. yes. But but Mike White, you could, you could see the relief on his mm. face yes. after the game. So is there a hangover? Or does that win spawn a run that – gets Texas into the top eight. And for that to happen, you almost definitely need to win this series. You might need to sweep, but either way, uh, both options are available. Texas at Oklahoma state this weekend. Because I mean, really, I think both these teams need to look at this series more important than even their games that they have against Oklahoma, because regardless of how things have gone, it certainly looks like Oklahoma has the big 12 wrapped up. So this is very, very important to finish second in the league. Uh, whoever wins this series has a really good shot at doing that. I think to answer your question on the series, or as far as Texas goes, I think you're going to see both. I think you're going to see Texas maybe have a little bit of hangover in game number one and Oklahoma state wins that first one, but then they're going to kind of rebound. And I think Texas come back and wins the final two games. And I think Texas win the series two games to one. I don't feel great about this pick. This is the most volatile to me uh, in terms of, the four options are available. I can see a world where Oklahoma State sweeps. I can see a world where Texas sweeps because they just feel so good. Haley Dolcini keeps on pitching hot. But the best pitcher to me in the entire series is Kelly Maxwell at Oklahoma State. The Oklahoma State offense has the capability of really popping off like OU does. They just do it with less publicity. So I'm going to take the Cowgirls at home to get two out of three against the Longhorns. Again, not a ton of confidence in this pick. It is definitely a series, Tom, that I will have on the laptop or on the television. I think we have TVs in the booth, don't we? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah so we'll, we'll be watching this it's, one. It's Davis Diamond. We have everything. <laughs> we have the jacuzzi back there. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's so great. Very much looking forward to it. <laughs> Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Missouri at Kentucky. Kentucky, who are they going to start? Tom, who's pitching? Who, who is pitching? Who? And But against Missouri, does it matter as much? But you're still wondering. Lots of sounds. (laughs) Loud noises. Well, I love lamp. (laughs) All Uh, that going on. I I love nothing about Missouri right now. No. Um, but it's hard to see them getting swept. I don't know, Tom. What do you think of this series? Kind of along that same same lines. I I have burned the bandwagon. It's impossible to get back on. Left by the side of the road (laughs) in Cincinnati, (laughs) by the forest. Totally abandoned. Uh, that being said, I, I don't see a situation where Kentucky sweeps Missouri. I think Kentucky does win the series in Lexington 2-1. Yeah, I've got Kentucky 2-1. We know Missouri's going to get hot one game. If they can find a way to get hot in two, right. then that's a good sign. Otherwise, it's just it's just more of the same. And what's the definition of insanity, Tom? Doing the mm. same thing over and over and thinking it's going to work. People have called me crazy before. Uh, well, but. at some point, Missouri needs to switch it up. I would suggest getting hot twice and <laughs> give, not just once. Give that a shot. See what happens. <laughs> LSU at Georgia in Athens. Uh, Georgia 
you know, we kind of know what they are. They're going to probably lose the middle game without Kerpix. Kerpix is going to give them a great shot to win the booking games. LSU, for the first time all year, did what they were supposed to do, beating South Carolina in all three games. Does that carry over into this weekend, or do we just see more Tiger craziness? Yeah, I mean, LSU is basically the least dependable team in, in the conference. Because of their talent level, you know they can come out and win series and, and even sweep. You know, everybody should be sweeping South Carolina at this point, but they should take care of their business that way. But they've shown no uh, sense that they're able to carry that over week to week. Being in Athens, like you said, I think Kerpix is pitching really well, going to be able to win her two games. I think LSU probably wins a slugfest in, in game number two, but I'll say Georgia wins 2-1. Right there with you. Uh, it's hard to pick the Tigers to do much of anything with confidence. As uh, as we've said, you know, anybody can get hot. It's all about matchups in the postseason. LSU is talented enough to go to OKC. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I would never pick it. No. And I can't pick them to go on the road and win this weekend. So yeah. Yeah. Georgia, two out of three. And they may be trying to make that run in the postseason as a two seed in regionals yeah. may not even be hosting in which is region. weird very it's not that's not the best arena way no but 2022 has been strange for everyone we're going to do a little flipping because the importance level i did not sort this by level of importance <laughs> so we're going to move one series down a little lower and go with old miss at south carolina uh considerably less relevant to the conference race tom you're up first uh, I mean, at, this basically comes down, do you feel confident enough to pick South Carolina to win a game? And I do not. Nope. Even, despite it being Ole Miss, they have shown more flashes and more games where they have been, you know, a more competent team yeah. overall than South Carolina has. I know it's on the road, but I'm just going to have to pick Ole, Ole Miss to sweep not losing ground on you by picking a South Carolina game. So Ole Miss three zip. That's it. I can't, I'm behind. We're late in the game. Pure strategy. Yeah. This is why I go second. So I don't get tricked into picking South Carolina. So both have Ole Miss sweeping Auburn at Mississippi state. These are two teams that are, you know, they, they are what they are. Auburn comes in struggling Mississippi state. Results-wise is struggling. You could argue that they outplayed Alabama for 30, 35% of the series this weekend, didn't come away with a win. So what happens in Starkville? It's a tough series to pick because both teams, their struggles are coming in the circle. Yeah, That uh, They are both having trouble finding consistent pitching uh, to go along with offenses that are, for the most part, doing pretty well. Offensively, at least, uh, in you know Mississippi State won that – Played well enough to win at least one game against Alabama. For sure. And then they did get the one good pitching outing, but then Montana Fouts was able to match. So, so, you know, that's how that goes sometimes. Auburn, they can hit the homer. What Can they do anything else? And it, that, that is the question. And it's weird that we're talking about Auburn that way, but that's what their offense is this year. I think being in Starkville, I think Mississippi State finds enough to win the series. I think they win it 2-1. I'm going to take Auburn 2-1. Uh, I have concerns about some of the Mississippi State pitching decisions. We didn't really talk about that during this podcast. There were a couple times where I thought Samantha Ricketts either pulled the plug too late or too early on pitchers. I I think she was too set in the game plan going into the game than kind of going what the flow of the game was dictating. Yeah, and I feel like with Auburn, if you make that mistake because of how – focus their offenses on power, it can get out of control really quickly. Yeah. So I see Maddie Penta winning a game. 
probably any Willis winning a game for Mississippi state. And then a third game that could go either way that Auburn finds a way to win because a pitcher for state is out there too long and you blink and, you know, Bree Ellis and Michaela Packer or somebody, two people have hit home runs very quickly. Yeah. And you know, the momentum has changed. So I've got Auburn two out of three. I can see that, but I, I think this may be of all the series we're picking the one that's toughest to really get a good gauge on. Yeah. Arkansas <laughs> at Florida. If you're an Alabama fan, you're pulling for a Gator sweep. Go Gators. Chomp. Ch- I'll do it. I'll, yes. I'll bring it down. Don't make me blue and orange it. It'll happen. I will bust out the Sharpies. and <laughs> You want a Gator sweep. Yes. <sighs> is it feasible, though, Tom? Is is that what you're going to pick? Are you going to pick the result uh, you desire? I mean, yeah. If, if I was I mean, if I was going this totally as, yeah, from a fan perspective, that's certainly what I would pick. It's interesting that I think that this series – is going to come down to offensively two Alabama transfers. I think are going to be the what key. What a world. Yeah, the key to this series. You have Skylar Wallace, who has really uh, helped solidify this Florida offensive lineup by being moved up to the leadoff yeah. spot. She, her in that spot has unlocked something in this last week and a half. Right. So maybe that, that was the missing piece, just finding where all the puzzle pieces go together. And obviously, you'd love to have Adam, Hannah Adams back. I don't know her status uh, with the injury, but uh, even if you don't, having uh, Wallace at the top and followed by all the boppers that they have in Florida, offensively, I think they can do it. The problem is I'm not sure if they have the pitching that can do it. You know, you have the Arkansas offense, and the Arkansas offense has really, you know, evolved like this year, like you talked about early on in the podcast, uh, led by what KB Sides has brought to that offense. Right. Uh, you know, they're able to steal bases. They're able to get on base in any in lots of different ways outside of the power that they certainly have still from top to bottom that lineup so i it's hard for me to see the pitching staff that florida has and how they're pitching right now being able to sweep arkansas but i do see them winning the series i'm going to say florida wins the series 2-1 in gainesville i don't think we're going to get the sweep that we want but even just getting the two games i think the path is still there for alabama okay here's the thing i watched a lot of Florida Ole Miss and everything about Florida pitching, I I was like, this is not ideal. Go back to the lab. Elizabeth Hightower looks as bad as she has in her entire career. Lexi Delbert can't throw a strike. Natalie Lugo is great for like two innings. And then the third inning is bombs away. That's second time through the order. Yeah. It's it's, and so you're asking this staff that is probably struggling as much right now as they have all year long to. You're saying that as they're on a four game win streak, depending on what they do, which, yeah, which is crazy. Right. Yeah. But that's offense driven. This pitching staff is not, is not pitching well right now. And so they're asked, they're tasked with trying to at least minimize the impact of the Arkansas offense that's been hitting the best in conference play of anybody in the SEC. I just, I don't know if I see it. <laughs> I don't know if I see it. So again, kind of with a little bit of faith in what Shanice Dels is doing in the circle right now. And also the thought that, you know, Mary half can turn it on at any moment. I don't feel confident in my heart or in my head picking Florida to win this series. So I'm going to take Arkansas to one. Now that's not a disaster for Alabama because if Arkansas loses one game and then 
both Alabama and Arkansas went out from there, you're co-champions. It's not ideal. What, what has to happen for Alabama is that Arkansas at least loses once. Right. If they sweep, considering they've got South Carolina and at A&M next, a sweep this weekend makes it look really unlikely that Alabama would have a chance to win the title solo and that best case would be a sweep right. or it would be a, a split. So yeah, if, if you're an Alabama fan, you're, you're rooting for it for sure. At least one loss. Yeah. That's what you need from, from Gainesville. And there are other teams that are contenders too. And, and we'll, we'll touch more on that next week. Cause I think after this weekend, we'll have a pretty clear line on who is and isn't isn't available like if yeah. you know Tennessee drops this A&M game they're pretty much eliminated barring some insanity because of the math that's involved and because they would have one right. uh, less win than everybody else bottom line Alabama has to take care of business and so we we look to College Station and pick Alabama at Texas A&M and the Crimson Tide doesn't necessarily have to sweep depending on what happens in Gainesville but you certainly cannot afford to lose the series at all. And the preferable result is going in and winning all three games. The only thing that gives me a little bit of pause on picking Alabama to definitely sweep is the unknown availability of Lexi Kilfoyle. Hopefully we'll get a, uh, an outlook on that uh, tomorrow or Tuesday as we're recording. But either way, I, I still think Alabama just from top to bottom has – just much more of a better team than I Yeah, am. You know, it is on the road. It's always tough to win on the road, regardless on who, on who it is. I think Alabama looks really good in the two games that Montana Fouts pitches. It's that third game. If Kilfoyle's not available, do they get a good enough start from either Salter or Torrance to be able to stay in the ball game and, and give that offense a time to time up whoever is on in the circle for A&M? They should be able to. Uh, I'm going to pick Alabama to win the series, to sweep the series but they, they need to, they need to play well to make it happen. Yeah. I'm going to pick Alabama sweep as well. My two concerns are what is your plan with Haley Lee? You got to be careful with her. And we, she's already had a home run tonight. She is the far and away best offensive player so much so far and away that they showed a graphic in the Sunday game of uh, Tennessee and A&M that, you know, the rest of the team combined was hitting like 200 points lower than Haley Lee. You got to be okay with walking her. It is okay to give her first because the percentages say everybody behind her won't be able to drive her in. It's even more of a drop off than say Mia Davidson and the rest of the right. Mississippi State lineup. Yeah, at least Mia has Chloe Malulu. A and M's got like Herzog right now batting behind Haley Lee, who's hitting two forty. Right. So that it just you got to be okay with letting Haley Lee take first base. Second, what is AM's pitching plan? Whoever they feel most confident in, if they throw her in game two against somebody that isn't Lexi Kilfoyle, that could be a cause for concern results-wise. Uh, if it is Lexi Kilfoyle, they can throw Monica Abbott out there. And I'll think that <laughs> I'll think that Alabama's got a chance to win. I, I feel pretty solid uh, that Alabama is better in every facet than Texas AM is. And finally, Alabama knows how to win, and AM does not. And we have a lot of evidence to back up both of those points. A&M, if they're in a, if it's a close game, I know Alabama is not going to panic. I don't know that about A&M. In fact, yeah. the evidence suggests they will panic. So it's just hard to not look at this and see an Alabama sweep. If, if the game is close, if it's tied, even if A&M has a run or two, one or two run lead late, the thought is, well, in what excruciating way is yeah. Texas A&M going to lose this game? How is Alabama going to come back? That right. will be, I will not be nervous. If we yeah. go to the seventh and A&M's up 4-3, you will not see me nervous. Yeah. Because 
um, until I see it, my thought will be A&M will lose devastatingly by a run. <laughs> right. So that, that's just how it is. And Tennessee hit a grand slam that hit the top of the wall. <laughs> to, to, to win the game and walk off after a and led eight right. four in the sixth. oh my gosh all they had to do is like not walk people that's it <laughs> and, and they refused to do it no if only alabama took walks oh wait they're yeah. one of the best in the conference how about that yeah okay those are picks you feel good about it i do okay. i actually feel pretty good which well, which means we're probably wrong but we'll see how well we said that last week right and you're a game away from seven for seven <laughs> trying to get the perfect the perfecto Mm. The likes the kill foil, as we call it. Ah, yes. Trying to trying to hit that mark that's <laughs> never been done. It's time for off the wall. Now, yes. credit where credit's due. A lot of the folks, pretty chill. Not a ton of panic. I'll touch more on that later. But Tom, I know you have some things you want to address. So please, as the person closest to perfection, the floor <laughs> is yours. Thank you so much. And uh, I, along those lines, I do agree. Uh, after you know the tough game on Monday. At Florida, we did a space. We haven't done a full podcast. So first time since we've really done off the wall since then. Credit to the fans for the most part. Everyone was pretty rational. Uh, still very happy with a series victory on the road in Flor- at Florida. So props. Props to everybody for not losing their minds. Tip yes. of the cap, sir. <laughs> Tip of the cap. Well done. Indeed. Let me doff my hat at you. Right. So there is that. Now, that being said, Uh-oh. today, right, today, SID extraordinaire Nathan Sheehan for uh, Alabama softball put out a put out a Facebook and a tweet talking about what we talked about earlier. How far ahead in the strikeout category Montana Fouts is from everyone else in the conference? It's so it, the right. the I mean the Grand Canyon ain't got nothing <laughs> on this difference. Combine number two and three, and they still don't catch up to Montana Fouts striking out. <laughs> it's close, but yeah. but that's not the point exactly. <laughs> so. I, so I was like, oh, well, I'm sure there won't be anything off the wall said in these comments as I click that. You fool! I know. What was I thinking? Look down. <laughs> the comment says, that's right. Need to pitch her more. No! Like, that, that's the thing we don't need to do. That's if, you, if we would like for Montana not to be worn out and to try to win a national championship, pitching her more, not what we need to do. I have often said <laughs> that the best way to win a national championship Chip is to burn your ace by April. Right. Just have her throw 300 innings by the middle of March. Uh, if that's even mathematically possible. I don't know. You know why I don't know? Because it's never been done. It never not, been tried. No. Uh, like, no, that no, we're pitching her about the right amount. And it's still more than anybody else. More than anybody else in conference play. <laughs> First in innings pitched. Right. Also, like Montana Fouts, you know, it's not the only option on the pitching staff. Again, right. Lexi Kilfoyle is very – if she's also on the list, she's yeah. tied for third in strikeouts. Would be the ace on virtually any other staff, and that's why if she's – if for no other reason than to make it to where Montana Fouts doesn't have to pitch every game, why she's so important for Alabama's, yeah. you know, run to a national championship. I've seen Facebook comments that, that talk about the pitching plan. It's kind of a spinoff of that. Mm. And be like, oh, you should throw this person. Ooh, that. Why aren't you throwing this person? Why this game too? Why aren't you pitching Montana today? She got the win yesterday, guys. That's not. That's no. not how it goes. Like pitch count is not as much a thing in, as it is in baseball, but it does matter. And you don't You're, want somebody to have two hundred plus innings when we get to the postseason because we've seen examples of those pitchers, <laughs> Kelly Barnhill, who mm. were burned out by the time we got to OKC. Yeah, I mean, yes, the pitching motion is more natural in softball, so you can throw more pitches, 
but it's still tiring. Yes. Your entire body gets exhausted. They, they all got to ice up and whatnot yeah. after these games. I mean, Absolutely. it's not like they just get off the field and go home. It's not like Montana's like, all right, bye. I'm going to go right. hang out with Dixie. Yeah. Try to throw no. 150 pitches. No. That's it. There's no, a lot. There's of recovery. Rest, rehab, recovery, all sorts of stuff going yeah. on. So, yeah. No, pitching Montana more not what we need to do. I feel I feel very confident in what has been done thus far and what the probable plan is going forward. Yes, indeed. Okay, next right. up, Tom. Uh, my second one was uh, there was a tweet put out by our friend Jen Schroeder uh, after Oklahoma lost. So this was put out, and she said something to the effect of, "Wow, a lot of Alabama fans are happy," and so the Oklahoma fans very defensive got got very got very in their feelings about it talking about, well, why is Alabama so happy? Alabama's not going to be number one. Like, no, they're not. Correct. It's yes. I, and right. I wouldn't vote them number one. No. no. Most people in America, 98%, probably wouldn't vote Alabama right. number one. Oklahoma could have been swept by Texas and would probably still be number one team. They would still have my vote. Right. So that it wasn't about trying to be number one, which, by the way, the polls matter not at all. Could care less. Nary and Iota. <laughs> no. On the team sheets for the committee. Don't care at all about being number one. In fact, you know, in 2020, I wasn't a fan of Alabama being number one then. It just, it's just, there is sometimes too much pressure, especially right. preseason, too much pressure with it being number one. If you get there at some point during the season, great. You just want to be in the, you know, in that top eight, and that's fine. That's it. So I yeah. want to be all you want to be. So it wasn't about, being number one, although the point was made, people are saying that, well, there's only one loss. Alabama has six. Well, if you look at the strength of schedule, it's not an apples and apples comparison. If only somebody had a packet with all mm. of those metrics. Oh, yes. There it is. Uh, yeah. Alabama strength of schedule number one. Oklahoma's number 33. Right. So their one loss, maybe a little bit more than Alabama's six, uh, considering they play about 45 tough regular season games a year. So let's slow the roll on that. But again, I, the argument wasn't, I want Alabama to be number one. The argument was now we have it on tape. We know the blueprint to beat Oklahoma, not just once, because you have to do it in the World Series, you got to beat them twice. You got to beat them maybe three times. That, that is what you were able to find if you had the talent to be able to do that. And Alabama is one of the teams that has the talent to be able to do that. Yeah, I was watching these games and I was thinking, all right, that that is an emphasis. That's a, that's a key. That's something that you know I will mention in pregame when Alabama inevitably plays Oklahoma at some point this year. And again, you know, Texas not only had a great game plan, but they executed it flawlessly. And there was one moment where they didn't, and Haley Dolcini gave up a two-run home run. So you have to also be able to execute to perfection the right. plan that exists. But what we have now seen from the Tennessee game in California, from the Utah game a little bit, from the Baylor game, from uh, to a lesser extent the UAB game, yeah, yeah, and and this of course this Texas game is what you need to do to beat Oklahoma. But <laughs> I, like the game plan exists, and there are trends that have developed if you watch all this film. So the fact that now we have film of not only that that game plan that exists to limit Oklahoma, but proof that it works, right. Is, is what's important. And what I said on the air, Oklahoma's loss just opens the door up for anybody, mm -hmm. you know, because you know now that they can lose and you know it can be to a team that other teams are better than. Alabama's better than Texas. Virginia Tech is better than Texas. Florida State is better than Texas. UCLA is better than Texas. Right. I mean, there are, there are teams better than Texas who I think can beat Oklahoma 
And to see Texas be the one that kind of, you know, got, got the ball rolling a little bit, I think gives other teams even a little bit more confidence that they can do it too when the time comes. And to uh, Beth Moen's point earlier, if you're not a fan of Oklahoma, you were happy Oklahoma lost. Yes. Because it's good for the sport. It's good for the sport overall. Like the argument that people used to say that UConn being as dominant as it is, is bad for women's basketball. I disagree. Everybody else just needs to get better. Yeah. And we're seeing now that everybody else has gotten better, how exciting a sport it is now. Right. Um, So it's similar, same thing with softball. You don't be mad at Oklahoma for being great. Be you know, you got to raise yourself up to that level. Yeah. That where I think it's different is this year. There are so many, like the, just the level of quality. Right. Then those years in women's basketball is just higher in softball the way it is right now. Oklahoma just looks so much better that we needed like confirmation that we weren't already coronating the Sooners now with a back-to-back championship. And I will say something else too about the Oklahoma fans on social media Wait until you get into a real conference, because when you guys come to the SEC, that's the way it's going to be every week. People, you know, you look at the fan bases of teams in the SEC, and they watch other games and other teams in the conference as much as they watch their own games. Sometimes with more gusto. Yes. So, I mean, that's the, you are going, if you think people are rooting against you now, Wait, wait until you get into the SEC. It's going to be an every weekend type of thing. Wait until you're up a game with two weekends left and you have to go to Athens, Georgia, where mm-hmm. things get weird and Georgia right. is middle of the pack and everyone yeah. is going to be praying that you lose. And when it happens, if it were to happen, you're, you oh, will yeah. see celebrations from Florida fans, Alabama fans, Ole Miss fans who won't be in the race, but they'll be excited anyway. Right. And that's, that's the way it's going to be. Like, I mean, Alabama fans legitimately, like, hardcore are going to be rooting for Florida yes. this weekend. And if you're not, then you're, you're confused. Figure, right. You're Figure confused. There was <laughs> a couple weekends ago, legitimately hardcore rooting for Auburn to beat Arkansas. Yes. Like that, that, was, that was legitimately happening. So it, there's, there's, a, there's rivalries, and then there is – we need these teams to lose because either one, we don't play them or two, they're just a game or two ahead of us and they've already played or something. So we're not going to be able to do it ourselves. We got to have these other teams win it's in our best interest. Right. We are all selfish AF in this conference. Absolutely. We want all the results to work for us. Cause we all, yeah, we all want to win that ring. Yes. And that's, you know, and it's, I'm not saying it's unique to the sec, but it is, it is a hallmark of the sec, how important the regular season championship is in this conference. Yeah. It, it is vital. You know, we talked to our friends from UCLA and they said, it wasn't really that big a deal in the Pac-12 to win the Pac-12 or the Pac-10 or whatever it was when they played. Well, yeah, because it was, you know, down to a couple teams and y'all were going to the World Series anyway. The, in the SEC, if, you're, if you win the SEC, you know that you probably have a legitimate chance of winning the World Series, for one. And two, it's just, it's vitally important to win the conference. Yeah. It it's we we like rings we, we like do to, we like to win the we like to be Look at the cabinet tom it's right up there i want to open the door and turn on the lights we want to we want to be recognized at halftime we there, there's all sorts of stuff going down the tournament is great but the tournament is one week you want to be recognized as a regular season champion you were the best team over an eight or nine week period that that is in the deepest tup- yeah, toughest conference absolutely. in college softball it's very very important oklahoma it's going to be a lot different than when you were in the big 12 when you played 
you circle two series right. and then hope you don't lose any of the other ones, right. but odds are you won't. Exactly. That's a good point. So there you go. My my last little thing, I just want to commend everybody um, for not freaking out. I think that the team themselves said, you know what? If you're going to doubt us, we're just going to come back and win and walk it off. And if you left, then mm. you know, it sucks for you. Don't do it again. I, I feel like that the team made people kind of pay for their own off the wall comments this past week. There were also a lot of people, including one of our frequenters, uh, frequent offenders who said, I'm never going to doubt again. And uh, I'm just going to remember that because I have your names. <laughs> right. And uh, if you do, I, will, I have screenshotted mm. your, I'm never going to doubt again tweet. And I will send it to you because I keep the receipts, right? I, all the receipts, there's a CVS receipt right <laughs> over there that has a coupon on it. And I will, I will just remind you, don't, don't give up. No, because I, I mean, I certainly hope, and I think it's possible Alabama wins every game for the rest of the year. But even if that happens, it's not going to be all sunshine and rainbows the entire time. There's no. going to be, there's going to be, be so difficult. There's going to be some, some adversity along the way. Alabama can finish this year, this regular season, 8-0, and I can promise you mm. it's going to suck. There's going to be a game <laughs> where you're like, end it uh, now. Right. Am, am I going to say that I had 100% confidence down 5 nothing and going into the bottom of the second inning that Alabama was going to come back and win? No, but I wasn't – it wasn't – You didn't get up and leave the booth? No, I didn't get up and leave. I finished. <laughs> okay. Never, and, and I Always thought, finish time. Right. That's what you got to do. And I thought, yes, there's a good chance we're going to come back and win. I wasn't 100% confident, but I'm not going to get up and leave. Good. Don't never, never leave. That's <laughs> if I didn't leave when we lost at AM 14 to 1 in the rain. <laughs> I, I can't remember the last time I left. You know what? I've left an Alabama athletic event early once in like five years. And it was uh, the New Mexico State game earlier. They should have got a Julian's birthday party. Okay. That's, that's it. Right. Which is excusable. We sure. were also winning 49 to 2. Right. Yeah. In the, you know, it was. The, the only time I've ever left an Alabama sporting event period because Alabama was losing and I just, I was done was the 1995 Alabama, Tennessee game. Mm, I don't remember that. No. Cause I wasn't. No. Well, okay. Thanks. <laughs> that was, Sorry, that was, keep going. right. That was the game. It ended what at the time was a quaint seven game win streak that Alabama had against Tennessee, mm. which I thought we'd never see that again. And wow. But um, so Tennessee came out, Peyton Manning threw an 80-yard touchdown pass, first play of the game. And I was like, oh, this this doesn't look good. <laughs> Time to bounce. <laughs> so about seven minutes left in the fourth quarter, my dad turned to me and said, you guys, you want to leave? Him? Yeah, we'll go ahead and head out now. Yeah, I'm good. So I didn't I didn't so I didn't see Peyton Manning lead the uh, Tennessee band in Rocky Top, which everybody's that's one of the rain reasons mm-hmm. Alabama fans still hate Peyton Manning to this day. I have nothing against Peyton Manning, but uh, well, yeah, because for your entire lifetime we've dominated them. That's not the way it's always been. Arch, anyway, so <laughs> that's not legal. Uh, this is a softball podcast. <laughs> okay. Arch no, isn't listening. No one's listening. No, it's okay. All right, Tom. Uh, what a busy weekend we have in College Station, and of course, you know, during the after-school special coming up on Tuesday. But mainly, it's this weekend that holds a lot of water holds a lot of weight and we certainly hope that you'll tune into all these games in some capacity we would prefer it to be radio and tom how can the people do that in the myriad of platforms yes. that exist we're available so many different ways uh if you're in in the city of tuscaloosa uh, and you're listening over the air on the radio you can listen on 97.5 fm also on the internet www 
nick975.com has that and also on the MeTV975 app and we're back on Varsity on the Varsity app for the rest of the season. So you can get those anywhere. If one for some reason isn't working, I promise the other ones are. Yes. So, so check that out. And you said, as you said, odd start time on Tuesday for the doubleheader, 345 first pitch, 335 airtime for Alabama, North Alabama, followed by Alabama, Alcorn State. And then this weekend, AM, 550 airtimes on both Friday and Saturday, and 1150 on Sunday. And don't miss the interview with Murph. Sometimes mm. we get little clues and snippets, little nuggets. Sometimes he'll go a little, you know, he'll be a little long winded. And so, our pregame analysis will be, that's right, Tom. And then we'll get a right. commercial. We need to win. Yep. All right. <laughs> I concur. That's fine. I know. I'm, I'm sure people would rather listen to Murph than us. So it's, that's, I'm so, all, that's all good true. If you want to listen to us more, that's why we have the podcast. Right. There you go. Also, the game. <laughs> um, uh, I'm very excited to get back to Davis Diamond. We will have just the, the palatial mm. Outpouring of love and support uh, from our friends and barbecue. Yes, we we will have easy field access. This is my favorite stadium in softball. Everything is magic. Everything works perfectly. There's no such thing as as a bad view in Davis Diamond. Right. Very excited to get to College Station. Oh yeah, very excited. It is a it is a great facility. Uh, Alabama should play really well as they have before uh, there as well. So uh, I'm. Just happy to be there and not down the road at their old stadium. Yes, we'll open the windows completely. 30 <laughs> yes. mile per hour wind, I'm sure. And uh, Tom, if there's one thing I know, it's that no one can no get a home run no 30 mile per hour wind in College Station. Well, I hope she does it in Gainesville this week. <laughs> that would be great. And of course, we'll be tweeting all these pictures and hilarious jokes that you're laughing about in your car right mm. now from our various Twitter accounts. Of course, at Alibox underscore pod. And then Tom. T Canterbury, R-T-R-C-A-N-T-E-R-B-U-R-Y beautiful i'm at gray g-r-a-y underscore robertson and i think that's that's the whole thing on the rundown there you go i guess i should get in the car now to go to college station (laughs) head that way get the hologram for the the games tomorrow that's right (laughs) i'll be on the plane maybe not masked we'll see i don't know things are changing things are happening constantly happening (laughs) including talking to friends on this podcast like beth moans thank you bmo for hopping on we'll see at the sec tournament Thank you to everybody for tuning in. What a uh, what a show. And now, Tom, we are fully immersed in the pressure-packed weekends where we will do some hardcore scoreboard watching. Yep. This is, no matter what happens, the best time of the year. 100%. Uh, and, you know, we're getting very close to Christmas morning, Selection Sunday, and all that stuff, so we're not that far away. And next, Stop week- burying the lead. The best scoreboard update day yes. in the world oh, wow. is that Friday. Yes. I don't even talk about the game we're calling very often. <laughs> you, yeah, usually usually because it, it's not a close I'll game. I'll just be like, Tom, oh my gosh, You're Tennessee right. just took a 7-2 <laughs> lead on Monmouth. Or right, or whatever it is. Yeah, it's, it's, so that's coming up very soon. Next week we'll be able to do a – we'll – kind of have everybody's past toward winning the conference and how things are looking that way and uh bmo thanks again for coming on and don't drive through the portal and tell us avoid that avoid it go circus don't pour right that's the two things (laughs) for my partner tom canterbury i'm gray robertson the road continues this weekend it's going to be a lot of fun in college station hope you enjoy all the softball coming up in the next few days we'll see you next time on the out of the box podcast